This song ripped off time after time slightly. If you listen to the Patron Melody, it's Cindy Lauper's song. Yeah, I was uh, wondering about that. I was like, is that what it is? And the lyrics didn't match to what I was thinking. Yes, that, of course, Robert, was the song Heaven, European old school 96, U96 um, song Heaven that, of course, they used in the stand. Episode eight, The Stand, when Flag decides to dance and they cue the crowd. It looked like a really bad spring break MTV party kind of circa nineteen ninety four. Do you want to know do you want to know my theory on that? I I sure do. That dancing was so bad, even that was like the last straw for God to come down. <laughs> <laughs> and just like, nope, that's it. it Everything so else you've done, but I'm sorry. No, I'm not doing I, it. I agree 100. percent If he didn't, if Flag wasn't going like this and dancing, <laughs> that nuke would have been on its way to Boulder, Colorado yeah, that night. No. Things would have been completely different. But I'm like, well, that was it. Sorry, people. <laughs> you're li- you're listening to the podcastle. It is Set Jetter Saturday. Happy Saturday, Robert. Happy Saturday to you. It's great to finally do a show. We we missed last week. You were in the lovely. Uh, you were involved in the Sundance Film Festival, if I'm correct. Yeah, we did a. Uh, I did, I did Sundance Film Festival in person about ten or eleven times, and we haven't gone in a few years. And then, obviously, this year is a virtual festival, so made it super easy, a lot more affordable, <laughs> um, and it's a lot easier to see films because you figure at the real Sundance Film Festival, you'd be lucky to get three, maybe four films a day because there's a lot of waiting and line and queuing and moving to move different theaters, and it's exhausting. There's a lot of films you were able to squeeze in then because of the virtual viewing. Yeah, so I think I did about 15 films, and my sister did 20 or more. Yeah, she saw quite a bit. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a lot of films to watch. It Sesame is. Sesame Street, you watched the Sesame Street one. Yeah, the new Sesame Street documentary, um, which was pretty good, and we watched that with our, our parents came over um, and watched that with us. And uh, But yeah, so there's, there's, a, there's actually a lot about Sesame Street I did not know, so it was kind of... A little uh, eye-opening for me. How was that one portrayed? I haven't seen it. Obviously, is it like in a good light? Is it? Is there? Is it like dark? Like what is? What is like the the story behind this? It's a mostly good uh, good light and it uh, light and it is based actually on a book. I think there was a book, uh, the Street Gang or the Road to Sesame Street. I think it's called and and so that's kind of I think where they got the genesis for the film and. In my mind, I'm like, oh, this is all Jim Henson. And like, he was a part of it, a major part of it, but uh, a major female producer. Um, and you're talking about early 70s that female producers were not out there. Um, and another gentleman, I think it was Roger Stone. I can't remember if that's his name. But yeah, he was kind of more the driving force between everything in Sesame Street. Um, and as a, as a nonprofit person, I was very interested in how, how early on they were. How, this was just aimed at pre-kindergartners to uh, in particular inner city kids to get them as ready for school as possible so it was it was good i think they did a pretty good job because if you look at sesame street and more broadly jim henson's creations 
they're you know they're universal they're ambassad they're ambassadors for children and education i don't know any kid myself included as a child that did not watch sesame street and learn things every week even if it was not right on the nose which is i think the point of it was it made learning fun yes and it's fun for adults i mean they they they, still hold up they are still doing their little spoofs of you know and whether it's uh, the kids know that it's a spoof of Masterpiece Theater or whatever the adults do that happen to be watching it. And I think that's why Sesame Street has survived and does not drive parents crazy like some others. You know what You know what didn't hold up as well? Sesame Place, the theme park. I, I've been, I actually, I'm very familiar with Sesame Place. But, uh, You've been there? So I've, I've driven by there many times because uh, my uh, dad is from Morrisville, Pennsylvania. And so we fly back pretty often okay well i'm not i'm not knocking it by the way shout out to uh one of our special listeners bob for listening to the show um he's a big fan and we just want to say hi we appreciate you tuning in week after week for set jetter saturdays and was wondering where we were last week (laughs) right we we i feel like we let him down and i apologize we'll do our best the sesame place but have you been there though inside no, I've not. I stayed uh, a few years ago. I admit mean, now it's probably ten years ago. Across the street from at a hotel, um, I was actually was kind of surprised it was still going. Yeah, here's the thing with Sesame Place: is it has the potential to be this amazing, fun place. It could be like a Disneyland, but it's actually known as the poor man's Disneyland. Yeah. And just to give some perspective on this, I grew up and lived for 27 years, maybe 20 minutes from Sesame Place. I've never been there with my family. I went there once for camp. None of my friends have really been there except for like that one time. And the reason why is you have these like great expectations and it's this like filthy water park uh-huh. with maybe some cardboard cutouts of Big Bird. I mean, it's not like you walk in, there's this, you're not in the street. Like yeah. if you had like the characters and you were in like the street with like Oscar the Grouch and there were shops and that would be amazing. But it's almost like, they have the second rate, and water parks are filthy. I don't care how much chlorine they dump in there. You're basically sharing a bath with 30,000 people. It's germ city. Yeah, it's, it's germ city, and it's just this water park with like cheap cutouts. And you're like, how did, how are they able to license Jim Henson through? Because who owns Jim Henson stuff now? Is it Disney? Disney. So I'm surprised that's still even in operation. Yeah. Like they Disney probably own the Muppets. Probably. Sesame Street is probably it's probably still owned by PBS or uh, some other entity. So they probably control all those aspects of it. I think you're right. But um, but and I'm not knocking on Sesame yeah. Place as. But that's a brand they can certainly capitalize on. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the big three. It's like you know Warner Brothers, you know Bugs Bunny, Disney, and Sesame Street. Jim Henson. Those are like the t- the big three. Um, go ahead. I was gonna say the hard part for that is it's geared to uh, you get to be nine years old, you're done with Sesame Street. So it's really geared to the younger to to get the parents to bring you, bring you. True, true. The uh, back to the Sundance, and we're gonna get into the Stan in a little bit, episodes uh, seven and eight. Um, back to Sundance. So you, I really admire. They gave you like it. Look, you posted on Instagram. Follow Robert at the uh, under the set. The set underscore jetter? Just set underscore jetter. Set underscore jetter. The set jetter is a pervert that's not associated (laughs) with the show. Set underscore jetter. So you posted there, they gave you like this, like welcoming kind of 
looked like a tote bag kind of kit with like M&Ms and things like that. Yeah, so we bought the Chase. That? So we bought the Chase Sapphire ticket package. So and we've done that actually in for the real Sundance Film, Film Festival as well. So um, and that's uh, if you're they go just like that. My my sister is a Chase Sapphire or whatever premiere member. So kind of get first pick to to buy those packages. So it's nice oh, because cool. uh, when Sundance is really uh, in person, uh, you get to opening night. Uh, you have kind of a couple special dinners and spe- kind of special things that you get to do. Uh, plus, uh, I think that the past couple packages that we had, you just you could literally go to walk into any film. Uh, so you didn't have to have tickets, oh. if I remember correct. So so that was nice. And so this year it was kind of a little bit different. And we did have uh, one they called a private screening. It was only for these members that had the packages. So we got to see a film nobody else did. Um, but yeah, so it, it was super nice. nice. And uh, I think, yeah, that package is probably the equivalent of like <laughs> half a night's lodging in Park City <laughs> under it, during film festival time. Yeah. It looked pretty great. Yeah. No, there was like so, M&Ms in there. I think there was like gummy bears or something. Yeah. So the and which is all the junk food that we eat at Sundance and we actually bought more junk food to make it as authentic as possible. That's so great. How does the how did the like the viewing experience work? Did they give you a link with a password you have to log into a website? Yeah, so a few couple of weeks beforehand they had the schedule and you could pick your films that you wanted and they couldn't overlap. Um, and uh, so there, so it felt a little bit like the real festival where you'd have to kind of really schedule what do we really want to see. Um, but the following, I think the last day, uh, most of those films that we could see because we had an open access pass, you could watch those on demand. Or once they were shown once, we could watch those on demand. So, so there's a couple times we had a, we call it Sundance walkout. So we give a film a good 45 minutes. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not. <laughs> I think the 45 minute rule is a generous rule because I usually yeah. do the 15, maybe 20 minute rule. Yeah. And that's it. But I think 45 is generous because if you think about some films, there's there's some great movies where you're like the first half hour is just slow, but then like wait. So how many of these movies were you walking out of the 45 minute rule? Two in particular I remember walked out. One was the Nicolas Cage film Ghost, something in Ghost. Always Land. a ghost. He has 30 movies with yeah. the word ghost in it for real. <laughs> Ghost hunters, ghost trailers, ghosts of war. And I think ghost I gave that about an hour, and I turned to my sister. And I'm like, I'm gonna go stare at the wall. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not what gonna was give it this. about? Give me the premise of it. It was kind of a uh, takes place in the future, and he's supposed to be kind of like a. He was typical of Nicholas <laughs> Cage, where he was he's brought out of jail to go rescue somebody, and they have like they put a collar on him that could explode if he does this, or it, his arm would ex- would explode if. He was threatening a female for more than 10 seconds. Just random stuff. That old Hollywood trope. Yeah. Um, there was one on his testicles. Like, literally. It was... <laughs> so, I, I gave, we gave it a good go, but I'm like, I, this is not going to get any better. <laughs> you know, what happened to Nicolas Cage? I, uh, I want to like him so much because he's made some great films. And he's made fun films that weren't so great. But now he does, like, 30 movies a year. And they're all, like, DVD-released. What happened to him? He's an Oscar winner, mind I you. I don't know. I wonder if he has good box office, uh, foreign box office, um, that somehow that he still, you know, that works for them. You know, he he can sell a movie out there. He can't sell a movie here. I mean, no. People don't say, "Let's go see the new Nicolas Cage movie." I don't think they do. But. I wonder if he's uh, going towards the part of his career where he's like Charlie Sheening. Like he was popular for so big, became a joke. And then because he was Charlie Sheen, 
it's like, ah, no, it's Charlie Sheen. He got on the rise again. He was doing <laughs> yeah. like kind of funny, like Charlie Sheen will never do another Wall Street kind of movie, but he will do like a Quentin Tarantino cameo kind of yeah. role. I wonder if Nicolas Cage is like going towards there. Probably. And this could have almost felt like it could have been a Quentin Tarantino presents film. <laughs> oh, really? You remember those type of things that, yeah, where he'll put his name on it uh, for a few extra dollars. <laughs> uh, but sure. it's like, no, it's so. And there's one other. Yeah, Mayday. Uh, it was a little too, a little too artsy for me. I guess I'll say. I'm like, I've I've not seen what's going on in this film. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it anymore. <laughs> this is not with Nicolas Cage, though. No, this was another. Uh, that was the other walkout. So is is Mayday a war film? No, it's a it's a strange. It's another strange film where uh, uh, these girls uh, end up dying and they're on this island and they're kind of calling people in to their death. Do you like when you watch these movies? You can tell like the budget and how like cheap or expensive it was made. Yeah. So usually for the Sundance ones, they're, they, they usually have a decent budget. Yes. Uh, right. Slam, slam dance. You, you could go down a little bit in budget. It's still pretty decent budget. Um, but uh, Sundance usually has, if they, if they make it to Sundance, you have to have some credit. And, and there's ones I do wonder, I'm like, how did, how did this make it in? Is this one of the, the top 50 that. <laughs> <laughs> how did, who did they sleep did, with to yeah. get this in here on the committee? How did the um, what time do these start? Are there do they start like early in the morning? Because you're on the same time zone, on, right? Yeah, we're on Central Time. They start on Mountain Time, so they start at I think nine Mountain Time and go all the way to uh, ten or eleven Mountain Time. So we and that's where and each one you know you just kind of queue to get in and watch the movie, and most of them have a Q and A afterwards. So you so each movie you you spend another thirty to forty five minutes after uh, if you're so interested in talking to the director or the cast. And does that, how does that forum set up? Is that like via Zoom or is it just on the website? And so it's still on the website and there's certain, so every, you have to link in and uh, you, so we can put your questions in. And my sister asked a couple of questions that got answered. Um, so uh, Robin Wright's new film, uh, she answered my sister's question for that. And, uh, but it was pretty smooth, especially for, they've never done this before like this. And there was no, no. glitches at all. I was impressed. It was, it was a flawless it was, presentation. Yeah. That's what you like to hear because everything their first run usually has some kind of hiccup. But hey, Robert, uh, when Disneyland opened in 1955, <laughs> the Pirates of the Caribbean they weren't eating the tourists. I've we don't know. To... We don't know that they weren't. Honestly. We really don't. <laughs> That's always my go-to line. If anything ever messes up in a presentation or at work, I go, you know, Disneyland in 1950, and they're like, okay, it's fine. You should just grab their hand and drop water on it and ex explain it away. <laughs> <laughs> and, and see, that that's chaos. And nobody would predict that I'd be in an office by myself uh, to, to talking to myself. And see? then walk, walk out of the car and it's just, that's it. <laughs> I think it'd be funny if the movies weren't playing, but they could still see you during the Q&A. You would tap your thing and go, you, you will have movies at this film festival, right? <laughs> And Do you know? Just going. I really hate that man. That is so. Yeah, we always want to ask, you know, jackass questions, and we never do. So, um, but the walkouts are much easier because usually, if you're in a the theater, the the director's right there, or and sometimes they're next to you. We, we've sat right next to directors, or right behind us. I'm like, well, we can't. Oh, walk I couldn't out do right it now, and we try our best to stay awake because it's pretty obviously when you nod off. Uh, I'm the king of nodding off during the first film and the last film of the day. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because you're, oh, yeah, you you're working like on four hours of sleep and then you sit down and the lights go down and you're resting and you're like, you can't help but kind of nod off. So. You know what I do if I have to leave a movie theater? 
not even a movie theater, but uh, I'm talking about like a screening where I'd, I'd see like friends screenings and things like that. But a lot of times they're combined with other people's and it's just like I'm only came from my buddy's five minute scene and I'm out of here. If I ever have to leave a setting like that with these other people, whether it's a conference or anything, I always am very absolute about it. I can't, I'm like, okay, five, four, three. And I get up as if I'm a doctor answering a call. And I just like storm out of there. Because if you're like, excuse me, hey, I, I feel like you're giving people the chance to stare and ask questions. But if you get up yeah. and you like storm it out of there, they're like, he either has to go to the bathroom really bad or there's an emergency. And then I just like hightail it out of there like, the, the, with the face. Like, excuse me, excuse me, I gotta go, gotta go. Like, uh, like Jack Bauer in 24. So when you are watching these films and you leave... Do you think that the director gets a notice that says Robert has left the chat room? They see the numbers going down or like... Uh, they, they would have to though, right? Because well, they would show how many people are viewing. I don't it's think they probably your see. Name. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't. I'm sure Sundance can tell how many people are actually logged in and, and watching it, but I don't think the director will. So, Do you think this... And obviously this happened in Sundance because of, of the COVID-19 pandemic. But do you think this is going to happen more and more virtually even after the pandemic? I think so, and it, one, it's it makes it more accessible. Um, yeah, to the studio. I mean, more people get to see the film, and that's kind of what it's all about. Obviously, the fun of Sundance and meeting celebrities and kind of all that uh, is fun too. But uh, I get to take a chance on films, and there's a number of films I would, if I was scrolling through Netflix or whatever, I wouldn't watch them. Um, but when I've kind of right. like, yeah, I'll give this a chance. And I'm so glad I did, especially a lot of the, the documentaries are usually the best of the best at Sundance. So uh, especially compared to the narrative film. So um, oh. there's a great documentary on Rita Marino. Um, there was a, uh, the opening night film was, and I can't remember the name, but it was a documentary on uh, COVID virus from a, a, a female documentarian that had just happened to be in Wuhan, China uh, at ground zero in Ooh. January. And so it kind of followed a year. So really got to see the inside, I said the inside scoop of kind of what was going on. So um, documentary is always the most impressive. That's interesting to know. I feel like documentaries have jumped 200% in the past 10 years of the quality. It used to be there was a few good documentaries and then there was just a lot of short ones. But now there's so many documentaries on so many things that are actually really good. It's like a whole new it like kind of reinvented itself, I think. Absolutely. Um, I think it's called Swimming with Sharks. So um, Valerie, I can't remember her last name. So she she and her husband uh, were from Australia and they uh, did underwater filming of sharks and so forth. And they were the ones that Steven Spielberg hired for the real shark footage in Jaws. And so uh, that was really good. And of course, I have a oh, right. fear of sharks, but a lot of behind the scenes and kind of gossip of, of Jaws and how all that works. So... Um, but yeah, almost all the documentaries we saw, I, I would highly recommend. That's really cool. I see. I feel like the, nothing will ever take away the experience of a live film festival with the meet and greets. That's part of the magic. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I feel like that's an, a, you know, an added bonus to be able to make these virtual in addition to the festival, because like you said, you're exposing it to more eyes. It's a way to bring in more money, get more exposure and create a buzz for a lot of these films. I mean, would you rather have your film at a festival screening for, 300 people or for 300 people at the festival and maybe 3000 online mm -hmm. watching like that's i don't know i feel like they should utilize that more 
Absolutely. And Slam Dance, I think Slam Dance, he might have started this weekend. So it's even cheaper. I think it's like, if you want an all access pass, I think it's 70 bucks or something. And I think it's all oh, on wow. demand. And so uh, those films are really good. And uh, we just bought tickets to South by Southwest for virtual. So oh, that's, that's something that's great. I would, I'm way too old, I think, to, to be able to put up with <laughs> for going there in person. But um, obviously, they get great films too. I love your um, sweatshirt, by the way, too. Is it a sweatshirt? Yeah, it's a hoodie for Halloween. Oh, I didn't see that. I just saw the pumpkin. Halloween, yeah. 78 to 2018. Yes. Was I that a promotional it. item for the Halloween? No, I, I had this made. Because so. it looks, it, yeah, it looks cool. It looks like it's better than just a promotional item. I, I make my own swag. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what are you making? Spreadshirt.com? Uh, no, uh, mostly Vistaprint. Vistaprint. Um, yeah, yeah, that's good. So, too. And I've made... Uh, Halloween uh, caps and scarves and actually I gave the director and the producer some scarves as well. Um, the Halloween really cool. scarves that I made. So, but yeah, the it looks turned warm. out pretty well. So, oh yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Does it keep you warm in the because you have like what like eighteen feet of snow right now? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, we we got fifteen inches last weekend or or a couple weekends ago. I can't remember. Um, and then we got about three or four inches last night. And we'll get another three or four, I think, tonight. So it's nonstop snow here. It's like The Shining. It is. It, you look outside. I think I showed you pictures. I'm like, it always feels a little bit like The Shining. It, I love those pictures, too, with the music and your video. Uh, you know what I feel bad for? You know who's the real victim of the snowstorms? The Who? kids. Because there used to be snow days. It used to be like, oh, we're not going to school today. Now they're working from working. They're educating from home. So the snow doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah, the remote learning days. We just had our first one or two of that uh, where, yeah, it wasn't a snow day, uh, but remote learning day. Congratulations, kids. So I'm like, I think, yeah, that's the end of snow days. <laughs> when school k- kicks up again, though, don't you think kids are going to be, or let me ask you, what do you think kids are going to be like when school? Are they going to be so happy to get back or are uh, they, they so going to we... be like, oh, school? So our major school district here uh, just went back to five-day last week. They've been doing a 3-2 plan where kids go right. three days on, two days off, and then the alternate kids go, then go two days on, three days off, and then uh, some have continued to be remote. So they just started back moving to five-day. So it's been it's been interesting, but all the other school districts, I think, have been going back, have been five-day uh, for a few months. So... Even it's though, a good thing. I mean, kids need interaction with other kids at that age. I don't. I know. It, I know school sucks and it's boring, but it's like staying at home gets old very quickly as a child. It's not yeah. a healthy. No. I don't know why I'm talking about this. I'm not an educator nor <laughs> a child expert, but I just want the kids that are listening. I hope. I hope there's not any, based on things we've said in the past. You know, they need to get out there. Um, uh, Back to Sundance. Did you watch? Uh, what was the best film? What was the best film that you you take took away from this festival? I think it might have been Land. Um, so it was uh, Robin Wright's uh, first director di- directorial film, and I think it comes out in a couple of weeks in theaters. If you happen to be so, if your if your town has open theaters, um, <laughs> here <and> Robert, she, <laughs> and uh, she uh, is the star of it as well, and so. She uh, that that's probably kind of the the film that I think was the most solid. And I like the most out of everything. This is Robin Wright 
formerly Robin Wright Penn until he blew that one. Correct. <laughs> I always liked her. No, I, I like her a lot too, and she and she was great in House of Cards. Um, yeah, yeah, she was. Um, but yeah, and so I, th- this is a film that that did it for me. Uh, not necessarily I'll buy on Blu-ray, but it was the one I'd watch again if it was when it's on HBO. What's the premise of Land for those not familiar with it? Um, she, uh, I want to give away, but she wants to kind of leave her life completely, and she goes and buys a cabin that has not seen anybody in it for years and just gets rid gets rid of her phone, gets rid of everything and oh, yeah. attempts to to live her life without people. They didn't show any Michael Bay films, I hope. <laughs> well, you know what? The trailer, if you look at the the trailer for Land, I was like, oh, they're making it look a lot more action-y than, <laughs> than Oh, really? Yeah, because I saw the trailer uh, after uh, I was like, oh, and I was like, well, that's kind of a, it's a, usually, a, it's a little calmer movie than uh, that they're they're trying to get out there, but I, I, I really like that. Yeah. Um, and then there's, there, and there's always a number of films where I'm like, oh, this is cheesy, whatever, and then it, the final scene or something will just hit me, and I'm like, oh, this is a good film. It worked. It worked on me. <laughs> I like when they do different films, uh, different trailers that spin it in different ways. Like usually, when a movie's not doing well at the box office, they 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 did this with like Eight Legged Freaks. They made it like a horror movie trailer. Then there was like a comedy one, like, hey, guess what? Spiders are coming to town. <laughs> And then they did like a sad one, and then a drum, and it's like they're just throw anything against the wall for any kind of demographic. You got to get in the theater. They did that uh, with the happening too. They made it look like government good- forces are being deployed. I'm like, there was not military scenes in the happening. <laughs> they made it sound like it was like this alien war epic at in, at one point in the marketing. I thought you were gonna say they made it into a comedy. <laughs> uh, it it was. Hey, I'm a big M Night Shyamalan fan. He's probably my favorite director he's not the best director i liken him to how i john kennedy is my favorite president he's not the best but i just <laughs> like him the best and i love Shyamalan because i love his films and he's from philadelphia so i like him um but i watched the documentary on the making of the movie signs have you seen that i don't know if i have if i have it's been a long while it's really really good in the sense that they have all the actors mel gibson joaquin phoenix the, uh, rory culkin Everyone talking about the making. And when you look at that film, um, there's really some amazing scenes acting-wise in there because it's an acting, you know, an acting movie in the sense that you have Mel Gibson at the helm. And they do these range of things that they were doing these, like, exercises that are, that are in, the, in the film. Where, like, Mel Gibson would have to eat at the same time while crying, which is, like, impossible. And they talk about like the kids, and the kids are talking about like where they went to mm-hmm. to get the the range across. And it was it was really amazing as like an actor to to watch that and just to see like how they they put that together because it's an ensemble piece. Yeah. Uh, but you're a film guy. I rec- it's on YouTube. They someone put it on YouTube recently. It's streaming, but um, it's really amazing to show that process. And I'm one thing I, I try to remember is that even the worst of the worst films rarely are they trying to make a bad film. Usually the cast and crew, they're doing their best. <laughs> they're and, trying. And uh, as much as I kind of bash it, uh, except for The Stand. But... Uh, <laughs> it's a classic. But, and that's like I kind of try to remember. And that sometimes, you know, I give, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll give them a little a leeway here and there because like, uh, we're like Sundance films. Some are cheap. They, they can't afford to do certain things. So they yeah, just kind of Yeah, they're working best. with what they have. 
you have a good attitude about it though and as a film guy and a um a lover of cinema like i i know that you get it and especially with your experience set jetting so it's nice when you can appreciate like that kind of thing you know I try. Like they're trying their best you're not just like this sucks <laughs> i do i do that too probably more i like i know I, li- I never seen you angry ever oh i've been angry at films for sure do you ever get mad oh, i yeah. don't think you do oh in general or at films in general in life oh Oh yeah, of I couldn't I see you getting mad. Oh, I get yeah. <laughs> well, let's say I dealt with a. I was on the uh, chat with a cable company for over an hour today, so you can imagine oh, there you go. how that goes. <laughs> My favorite line, though, ever, and we'll get into the stand, but uh, is when you saw a woman without a mask, and under your breath, you just went gross, gross. <laughs> I I still use that. Gross. I yeah. I just say it. Um, uh, so Sundance Film Festival overall was a success. Absolutely. So I, I hope they do that again. I, I would like to go back to Sundance uh, one year as well. But um, the, it was nice to see a lot of films without a lot of the, the work. But you would go back physically next year? I don't know if I would. It's, it's been about four or five years since I've been back. So um, possibly. We'll oh, just kind of okay. see how things, go, how things go. That's Robert Patterson, the set editor on The Stand. On The Stand. On Sundance <laughs> Film Festival. We're going to get into The Stand we are we are behind Robert two episodes, yes. the Stan episode seven, and episode eight. I forget what seven was completely. Seven oh. was called the walk. Yes, and uh, and I think that's someone I think started with a trash can man getting the bomb, if I remember correctly. Somehow he got in there pretty easily, and it's <laughs> this nuclear warhead is about fifty yards from a. a, a uh, six foot chain uh, chain link fence. <laughs> right. Somehow they 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 cut out a couple things because somehow he not only got in there but he also sawed his way through it, lifted it up on a crane somehow, and then hugged it. <laughs> it's just so amazing. We talked about that in the thread. I don't care if there's a pandemic and the world's dead or not. You don't waltz into a nuclear silo and arc weld that thing off. I mean, he has like an arc welder and, and he's like hugging it. It's like, yeah. you don't, those things are like 200 feet under the ground. And then they cut and all of a sudden it's in the, his little, uh, what do you call it? Range Rover thing. Yeah, what it what, I kept, he was driving. It wasn't even a car, that little kind of. It's like a golf cart. A golf cart. What's the so. gas mileage on those from the deserts of Utah to Las Vegas? Apparently they... really good because he didn't have to get gas either. He just... What is that thing? <laughs> he took a golf cart for lack of a better term. It was a tram car that you see at like theme parks. It was a yeah. tram car. He took like <laughs> across state lines. So so what? that's where probably like all right, I'll let I'll let that pass because it, sure. it's a little preposterous to begin with, you know. Right. Um, and I can't quite remember how it happened in the 94 miniseries, but it didn't seem to be an issue with me at the time. <laughs> the 94 miniseries I thought was okay because Matt Frewer's Trash Can Man was in a uh, nuclear weapon storage facility where he somehow gained access underground to like the bunker where they just store them. That was more plausible that he... Yeah would get it that way not removing them physically from the, the the rocket launcher yeah wasn't lloyd and some people with him didn't they shoot some military people or i can't remember well anyway i don't know so we also saw the death of mother a um, yes and it was a little I, I was having some flashbacks to uh is it shmi skywalker her death in uh 
Revenge of the Sith where Oh yeah. I couldn't tell did she just pass out or she just passed she out. dead? I couldn't quite tell. It's kinda of like right. when you're talking to a drunk person, they eventually just nod off and I like I was like maybe she's just sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> what? Are you dead? No no I need pancakes. Yeah, um, she just kinda of nodded off and it was very anticlimactic in the sense that you're like, I guess she's dead. Dead. And then I, I swear I was huh? like, oh, somebody please say a line. No, I, you know, it's like we don't really have to do this, do we? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing. Like, let, nah, let's let's move on from this. Yeah, uh, the don't no food, no water. Um, one of you won't make it. <laughs> uh, it was like people were like I'm not gonna do. Do you have to do this from this lady? I don't know. It, it was almost like they were reading lines from somebody was reading lines from the book off camera. It was like, and then, just say I'll. Promise to try. I'll promise to try. I'll promise to try. Got it. Move on. And then and, that was and, it. And I do my best. I'm like, all right, all right. And I think uh, when right. the candle blew out, I'm like, no, like, <laughs> nope. Nope. I, I, we we know she's dead. We don't need to blow out the candles. As, uh, yeah, why pr- did they do that? The flickering I, candle just extinguished. I don't know. That's why I was like, did somebody blow that out? What what's going on? <laughs> It symbolizes that she died. Thank There's you. A, I want somebody like she should, Ray should have picked it up. It's like we got to save candles. She's not using this. Yeah, we got. Yeah, right. We got this. Is, we need to conserve the power. Is still spotty. Uh, they they this episode six took them to um, their journey to the desert, um, or their journey to to New Vegas, where of course Stu broke the leg and they had to move on. I think that um, was this one, episode seven. Is this episode seven? seven I mean, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I felt like this was the most boring one of the entire season. Yeah. What do you a, think? We had a nice montage of them walking, uh, which is fine. I, I always wonder in movies, though, because uh, they show them kind of walking on these cliffs, and I'm like, well, I'm sure there's a little... I, there, there's there's roadways to, to Vegas <laughs> from Boulder. Right. We don't need to be climbing mountains. Yeah, what was that? They they used the they used uh, Ray, the Native American character, mm-hmm. and they kind of made a joke of like, "Oh, you think because I'm the Native American girl, I know the trails?" Yeah, well, do you? <laughs> sure, do. Let's go. It's like <laughs> you can still take the roads. I, that's probably the easiest way because you're not I, encountering obstacles. Yeah, I would think so. And then and in this version, they kind of had it made because then they got picked up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and apparently hey, they were boys. pretty far. Yeah, don't even start me with Lloyd. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, but uh, why the limousine in the desert? Not the most practical vehicle to be off-roading in. Well, gas is not an issue apparently. So apparently, <laughs> those things are guzzlers too. They get like twelve miles to the gallon. Um, but they had to be pretty far away because they left in the daylight, and by the time they got to Vegas, it was dark. I'm like, well, <laughs> they were probably like three miles outside of Boulder. I don't know. <laughs> did 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 they probably were? Did Harold Lauder? He died in this episode, or was it six? I think it was. I think it was the. Was it this one? I think. Yeah, I think it was this one, one. Where um, so it was You're a little right. bit different than the book and the original movie, where Nadine kind of did this on purpose. Um, right. Yeah, they didn't yeah. have flag. You know, scaring him off road. I felt like when Howard Lauder died. Um, the my whole takeaway from the stand is the big. The biggest problem is that they focus on the wrong characters. Like, Harold Lauder's an integral part of the book, but they focus, they almost make the entire series about him up until this point, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't work. And after he, um, you know, again, spoiler alerts, after he, he, he gets thrown off the road and impaled, 
I felt like they focused on him for way too long. They had like the flashback and the, the, the voiceover with the monologue of the letter he's writing. And then Larry gets off road and like covers him up. It, there was like too much going on with Louder, I felt. Yeah. And I don't know if they kind of thought we would, we want to follow him on this journey. But, and then I go back to, I'm like, as much as I hate to say it, the most intriguing character, the ones that we, that you wonder what she's going to do next is Nadine. Um, and so she she was right. much more interesting, and I loved after she uh, obviously she saw a flag in the desert and they had sex, and then uh, she became a kind of platinum blombshell in her mind. And I was like, I I, got, I love that aspect that she yes. didn't really. That's what she thought she looked like. Um, and then obviously when you see her later, that's not what she looks like at all. <laughs> I I do like that aspect a lot. I'm glad you said that because in a lot of film portrayals, like they did in Passion of the Christ, they did in a bunch of other movies. When somebody's kind of possessed by the devil or given parts of their soul away to some other entity, they still have this idea of like, oh, everything's great. But on the outside, physically, people like they crumble in film. And they did that really well here where she thought she was this beautiful, you know, girl still. Mm -hmm. Also, she's got white hair and her face is gaunt and like sinking. Yeah, which is pretty good makeup. I was kind of I thought because so. I was like, is that even her? I mean, they did, they did a good job, and I, I kind of like that aspect of it. And I actually wish that she had been to Vegas earlier. They kind of could have stretched that out for me. I thought the same thing, and I felt like they did do a good job, especially at the end of episode seven, where they show her face. Where I thought maybe that's not even Amber Heard anymore. That looks yeah. like somebody different. And but I do feel like they should have they or they could have had her come to Vegas earlier and explore that more yeah no i would i would have much especially because what happens in the next episode kind of begin it felt like they kind of scrunched it but and the other thing i'll say about this episode is like they're driving through vegas and i'm like well vegas has their crap together at least uh <laughs> it was very pristine yeah i was like they, it's not so bad you know <laughs> it was very except for the crucifixions on the side of the road yeah it was very clean yeah and at caesar's they were chiseling flag space <laughs> yeah they did a good there. job so they have some artistry there uh, there's some there's some talented people there. <laughs> well, why did they? Um, why were? Do you remember when they're driving to Vegas and they have the guy getting beat up on the side of the road? There was no significance to that, right? That was just to show the characters, like, yeah, they're they're kind of all over the place here. Yeah, I think they they kind of try to tiptoe and like this is a bad place, but it's really ninety percent of them. It looked like they're just there to have a good time. <laughs> yeah, and, they looked and, like they and, were just in Vegas. Yeah, like just on vacation. Kinda, caught up in the wave and i wouldn't put it past anybody to say well let's just go where the party at not with the boring boulder people <laughs> that's what i was thinking early on in the series was i'd go to vegas but i think once i got there get I, I'd, I'd get tired of it yeah I just, meanwhile I boulders has their vhs tapes out for kids and <laughs> yeah they're watching that 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 film what was that movie time bandits time bandits so episode six and or seven and eight seven. They went over, I felt like eight was, which is called The Stand, mm -hmm. was the best one so far for all of its flaws in the sense that it was, it was not, there's, it, we're done with flashbacks at this point. Yes. And they showed the deaths of, you know, the, the main characters and what happened. Yeah. So the courtroom scene, I kind of got where they're going for. Um, I thought Lloyd was maybe trying to kind of channel some Dolly Parton, maybe, is what I felt like he was doing. What was he trying to do? I don't know. 
Uh, but I, I feel like I've seen this kind of thing before. Like, who? somebody did it better. Was it The Dark Knight or Dark Knight Rises, where they kind of create their own court system? Right. And I was it was like, like the Occupy Wall Street kind of throwback. Yeah. And um, I don't care. I'm, these people can't be that excited. They're hooting and hollering at a at a hearing. But they were. Yeah, they were going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I that chick who played the judge or was sitting in the judge's chair like the yeah, you know, like the, the event coordinator for everything is so annoying when she's like, <laughs> just kill him, shoot him. It's like, who are what? And then because in other scenes, you know, who I'm talking about. Yeah. It's, she's very like she's afraid of flag, obviously, and she's very like, okay, let's do this, move here, let's switch the camera. She's yeah. all into that, and then all of a sudden she's demanding for people to die, and then she's afraid of like, well, it was him. I, I don't, yeah. I don't know what she's trying to be. Is she absolute crazy or is she fearful? But because for someone that waffles so much, she was very adamant about like, shoot him, kill him, Lloyd. Yeah, and flag has to be mad because I'm like, these two are the best of the best, Lloyd and. Terrible. Uh, her and Julie. Uh. Terrible. <laughs> I, I, I can't stand Lloyd's character. I, like you, I'm not a big fan of the actor. Uh, I just don't think he does a good job. But I, I, I was appreciative of the fact that they humanized him a little bit more in this one. Just to show a range as opposed yeah. to his like, silly lines that he's always saying. Yeah, and he has to... Obviously, the lines were written for him. I did like... I thought, well, I thought it was interesting uh, that... The one way their kind of get out of jail ticket would be to pledge loyalty to Flag, and I'm like, oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, how does that work? Where have uh, we heard that before? Um, and of course, they didn't take it. And if uh, Greg Kinnear, I mean, he he's he's probably he's somebody else that I wish I probably would have seen a little bit more. He's one of the more interesting characters, or he had interesting things to say, at the very least. But I always, yeah, I thought he was a great character. Um, Ray, right? No, it was uh, Glenn Bateman. I felt like he's a great character in the book, and I felt like Greg Kinnear brought like a new light to him. They didn't just make him like an old guy. Yeah. Uh, seven went into eight with them arriving in Vegas, and we we open up episode eight of them in the cage in the basement mm -hmm. of the Inferno, and that first part of the episode felt appropriately like very Trumpian. They They made a lot of there was obviously a lot of parallels between mm -hmm. when they wrote the stand during the Trump administration and what we were seeing because they're talking about they'll just follow anybody and oh they they beat people up and destroy them that don't agree with them and this isn't society and it was it was kind of on the nose but it worked I don't know what do you think yeah no that's what I was like oh I wish we seen same thing we should we should have been seeing a little bit more of this Vegas to build it up how how does it work and it it. When you were talking, it reminded me that in the original miniseries, we saw them cleaning up Vegas, just like they were cleaning up Boulder. Um, same thing. That's what these people were doing. True. Um, we didn't get that here. It was just magic. No, I, I felt like we should have. We should have had equal splits. And episode six should have started more in Vegas and have carried, or episode seven should have began more in episode six of them traveling. And we should have had like maybe one more episode focused more on Vegas and less of like, people walking around Boulder kind of yeah. thing. I that was a budgetary reason had to be, right? I would think so. Yeah, you could kind of tell, obviously, Vegas, they had some shots, and then we always immediately go to the uh, the Vancouver former hotel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> as big as the uh, everything is, it's all kind of, you know, this kind of 100-yard uh, empty pool. Uh, it's like, this is the best that 
in Vegas? I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah, I felt like they shot three days in Vegas and then they filled it up with that Vancouver because Vegas, if they really wanted to do it, even digitally, you know, composed, they could have explored a lot more of Vegas, the city, as far as what's there, like, you know, the different hotels and things like that. They could yeah. have made that more Vegas. I know they have cool overhead shots, which is cool. But they could have done a little bit more, and the '94 did a little bit more, like you said, with the cleaning up and the final showdown is in the middle of the, you know, Las mm-hmm. Vegas Boulevard, and that's what I was hoping for, and that was yeah, uh, more cinematic to kind of see that, and obviously, I, were they on the crosses? I think if I remember right, or they were, they were at least put up on a stage. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, granted, putting them in they a, were on the in, wheels in the '94. Yeah, they're going to be like racked. There were going to be like huge crowd, yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, that that seemed to work kind of better, and I was kind of expecting a little bit rather than like, oh, we're going to drown these two. I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> that's not a good thing either. But <laughs> right, we're going to yeah, I, the drowning was is always tough to watch, and when Lloyd was kind of like uh, get rid of them before they drown, and yeah. Flag was saying, uh, you know, shoot them, you're a coward. It really did show his lack of power at that point, and that he was only powerful by people feeding into the fear, kind of like Trump. Yeah. But uh, you know, when he was levitating and he started to come down, it looked uncontrolled, like he's starting to lose things a little bit. Yeah. So I feel like they did a good job with that. And when they have people shouting out, you know, when Larry starts saying, "I will fear no evil," and other people are shouting it, mm-hmm. it was a little reminiscent to like a Me Too or <laughs> people speaking up against injustice. Yeah. Because then you see like, "Oh, shut up, coward!" Yeah, who said that? And uh, who said that? Yeah, because press, press conference known is that. over. Yeah, flag should have known that too. If he was still at the height of his power, he should have known who said that. I mean, he could see the spies coming yeah. in, he would know who would say something in a room. And I, I just as long as they played Heaven, that dance song, <laughs> which so, by the way, says to be the show that is that, that melody is time after time. Am I not right? Yeah, that's exactly what it sounded like. And I was listening for those lyrics, I'm like, well, maybe it's not that song. Or maybe Cindy Lauper should, should sue. I don't know. It was a blatant ripoff. I was like, it's yeah. time after time. And no, she, it's not. Yeah, or maybe she'll ignore it because she wants nothing to do with this uh, danceateria thing. That's uh... <laughs> yeah, that, ridiculous. <laughs> He's just dancing. And what is that? I don't know what Alex Sander Skarsgård was doing there, but please, oof. yeah, <laughs> it was tough to watch. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Um. Yeah, I think they they want to kind of have a frenzy built up, and I was like, oh, that's that's not the way to do it. But yeah, like I said, I think that's where that was God's last straw. Like, you know what? <laughs> Fog's coming down on this. We're we're no more dancing. <laughs> that's hilarious. Everything was going to be like we're going to let it slide and not get involved yet. But once that dancing, that's it. What do you think about the way the hand of God came down via smoke as opposed to like? A glowing hand. Um, it was good special effects, and so I kind of liked that, and I kind of th- liked it kind of in closing. I thought, oh, this could be interesting, and then they had the the light zapper, uh, which is pretty powerful. It didn't just uh, <laughs> didn't disintegrate people. It like, kind of sliced them. It was like, I guess, lasers. Yeah, it looked like something out of War of the Worlds, you know, when like, they would get zapped in the clothes. Yeah. I'm glad they, Lloyd died the way he did, where he turned around, he thought he missed it, and he got his head split uh, up. I had a little image, I had a, the little final destination with that, where... Like he he can't be that dumb that he doesn't understand uh. <laughs> that it would swing back. Yeah, <laughs> the pendulum that almost hit him the beam. Yeah. Oh, I I, I missed it. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Let me turn around. Then I'm like, yep, you you get which you know. <laughs> you dumb. 
I like that they used the way I thought it was great the way they used the hand of God. I, I think it would have looked cheesy, even with all the special effects uh, of a physical hand coming down. The fact that they used the opening where Nadine fell to bring in the smoke mm-hmm. was really cool. Because yeah, that bomb about, was no joke. Yeah, I guess we didn't talk about Nadine uh, committing suicide. So she quickly has her character arc where she realizes this is not a a good thing. And then she uses the, the stone, special stone uh, you get with the special kids club of uh, to, to break the window and, and obviously leaps to her death. Um, I kind of preferred the miniseries where that Nadine just kind of slips off <laughs> quietly onto the balcony and uh, I do too. Yeah, but I thought this, it was... This, this was different. Yeah, she, obviously she was uh, twelve months pregnant, and uh... yeah, I thought it was good that she got out because Vegas they don't have windows where you can open up in Vegas. So uh, I was thinking the same thing, like how is she going to do this? And then she did it, but I could have done with I could have done better with the quiet, like disappear, and you see what happens. Not the <laughs> whole like falling, and but I guess the baby was supposed to kill her in labor. Or she knew she was going to die. She knew, labor. yeah. So it was squirming around quite a bit. I mean, it was. <laughs> it was nasty. Yeah. It looked like something reminiscent of Alien. Yeah, I was like, "Are we going to see this?" I thought because now I'm like, "What? What changes are they going to make?" You know, because like now anything can kind of happen. Because I knew that, that they had some plans, to kind of add to the ending or redo the ending. So I thought, "Oh, we're going to start to see some different stuff," but, but not really. I think when she was falling, she should have been falling backwards. And in like Alien Three, the demon baby comes out and she just grabs it, it. Yeah. and then flags her. <laughs> no, <laughs> and then it, but instead of the pool, it's fire. It's like because the hotel's the inferno. Yeah, so maybe it was like an inferno or something. I felt like they should have really played up to the Alien Three fan base. To that that one. would have been. And they good. missed it. That that was the saving moment for Alien Three that made it somewhat bearable to kind of see that. <laughs> somewhat bearable. Yeah. <laughs> prisoners running in the dark? I don't understand what, what your priority. Uh, when Flag uh, screamed and was crying kind of about uh, upset that she passed away, you see Lloyd and that other chick that's kind of, uh, you know, what do we do? What do we do? We're scared. And at that point, they know, and that he knows that they know that, like, it's over. It's all falling yeah. apart. So that last act, ah, what, oh, before I uh, continue, the last act, I, I felt like they they timed it well. But what do you think about Trash Can Man coming in and the makeup and everything? So makeup, it's it's always a little overdone. And it reminded me of like mid-80s uh, scar makeup. That, that's what we would always see. You know, this kind of like you could the tell belt. it's makeup, whatever. And I always wonder, I'm like, does it look better in real person than it does on screen? You know, because they, oh. they put time in it. These are experts that know what they're doing. Um, so, and yeah. I like how people just kind of clear the way. Like, I'm like, oh, great, Trash Can Man's here. <laughs> He's not looking good. <laughs> yeah, and everyone's screaming his name. Yeah. Like, Trash Can Man. And uh, and then I was, uh, I thought originally, and I could be wrong, because I thought in maybe in the novel that he was supposed to have turned against a flag. Um, but I think part of me is like he didn't know he was supposed to go to the airport. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he's the most coordinated of planners. Yeah. And how does Flag not know he's coming to Vegas? He's supposed to be able to see everything. How well, does he not Flag... know, like, his big, his number three man is, like, bringing the bomb to his doorstep? He didn't know Mother A was dead, so he was kind of... Did not. Uh, the power was weakening. 
Yeah. <laughs> they should have explored that more, too, because if you never read the book or saw the 94, you wouldn't really know that by watching this, that a lot of the stuff that we're talking about now that happened in the stand, it wasn't like explored very well. And I wonder if I'm giving it, and it would be interesting to talk to somebody who has not read the book or not seen the miniseries, uh, because some, I'm like, am I bringing some of this history to it because I just know it? Am I making it even deeper than it is because I just happen to know yeah. uh, what's supposed to be happening? But you That's know what else? Point. Now, now that I'm thinking about it, the fact that he has kind of all these bumbling idiots surrounding him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just leave it at that. I'm like, Life well, really? maybe. Yeah. Like, how could this happen? Why would he pick the idiots? I'm like, oh, well. I'm sure Rudy. I'm sure Rudy Giuliani is in Vegas somewhere. As oh, he, he was there. Attorney. Yeah, yeah. His 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 head was dripping with yeah. with, with dye. <laughs> he was the trash can man. <laughs> my life for you. Uh, yeah, he would totally do that. My life. Uh, but I agree. I think that'll be interesting to talk to somebody that hasn't seen the original or read the book. What they think about this? Because a I lot did. of this, I wonder how much we're we know because we've read it and seen the 94 and we kind of say, Oh, this is what's happening. And so people are like, who is this trash can guy? Why, why are they calling him trash can? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Why I, is he? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's questions about that, but I did. i also, I had some uh, flashbacks to Carrie as well, though, as people were trying to get out, they're pressed against the doors, reminding you of Carrie at the prom and Julia <laughs> kind of, pushing some lady out of the way and then she gets zapped in half to just totally remind me of Carrie at the prom and uh, yeah those are like that maybe even be like a little easter egg they put in there because the being trapped behind the doors and everything mm-hmm. trying to get out where that's would you go to i mean that's a nuclear bomb you you really you're done you have to hope it doesn't go off for like a half an hour for you to yeah get well i thought they probably didn't know because at that time they were just escaping uh the hand of and then yeah, um, they, they probably some probably just went to the next bar over. I don't know and didn't realize. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna go. We're gonna go over to Excalibur. There's a castle. And they then did? I go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, and then I did have a moment. I was like, "Is is Larry and Ray? Are they gonna be saved somehow in the pool? Like I was like, <laughs> Scott, you're gonna put a bubble around them. I was I, wondering I, about I that too. Yeah." Because it was very, uh, you know, one minute like it's you ready, it's done, and then it ended very yeah. quickly. I thought something, I thought something else was going to happen. Yeah. To Ray and Larry. I wanted to like thought bubbles, like it's sure is bright up there. Like what? sure, what's happened? <laughs> I honestly thought for a second that's what was going to happen. Like they'd see the brightness, even though that wouldn't happen. Everything would be gone. But I'm glad that they they didn't do that route. But uh, yeah. the blast was a good special effects. The '94 one didn't have that. They had a flash and then another flash. You know. Yeah. Limited in '94. Kind of ran out of out of money, and then Flag yeah. got, he gets zapped several times, and you kind of see his real self, and then he kind of disappears. So I don't know if that's a episode nine. He's not really dead. I don't know. Ooh, because in the novel, remember there's a there's a prologue that shows he's alive on a beach, and people are worshiping him at the very end. Hmm. I wonder if they're gonna do that. Maybe. But, like like uncivilized people on some remote island in in the yeah. novel uh, find out like he washes up on beach on the beach and they kind of like worship him thinking he's a god who knows so yeah so because we have a whole other well so we have we see Stu uh, the blast that affected him obviously I was like oh is he gonna die too like is this gonna be like 
He was a little close. Yeah, obviously pretty close. Uh, and then, of course, Tom Cullen is... It seems pretty close either, because they're in that orange haze of uh, a smoke, and he finds... Uh, yeah, that's radiation. What's going to happen? Kojak. I don't... M-O-O-N. Yeah. That spells yeah. cancer. <laughs> so... Um, and I think that was no. I guess no. We we do we do cut to Boulder, uh, with Franny and Joe, and a little on the nose with the uh, they they see the lights and it's in the three jagged that they have three jagged lights. That's the same three jagged symbol of the the stone. I don't know if you noticed that. I did not. No, I'm gonna have to watch that. So yeah, at the end because they you know kind of they look up and they, apparently they can see the nuclear. Maybe right. you can. I don't know how that. <laughs> I don't know the reality of uh, how much you can, how far you can see these uh, nuclear explosions, but yeah, Boulder to Vegas, I would have to look on a map. I don't know. Yeah. It sounds a little far. I didn't realize you could see that though. Yeah, so I, did, it, I didn't it, put that together. I, I'm, I'm assuming it was kind of the three pink jagged edges uh, that they, they kind of saw. Um, Two on the nose. And now the baby's coming. <laughs> baby's coming, and Fran is like, "Oh shit, she's in labor." What are we gonna do? Uh, what do you think episode ten or episode nine is gonna be like? I don't know. This this could be the most interesting because I'm like one. It better be something for if you're gonna have us another forty five minutes an hour. It better be, yeah, uh, <laughs> something worth worth our while. Um, and I I'm curious. I just can't Dakota. imagine what it's, it's gonna be. I'm very curious myself because everything was was is buttoned up for the most part, storyline plot wise in this episode. So to have a whole nother episode, I'm wondering what what are you gonna do? Everyone we care about is gone, so I'm like, <laughs> yeah, what's gonna happen? I, I my prediction is it's gonna be a lot of Tom Cullen taking care of Stu in the desert, yeah, making their way back to Boulder, the labor, and then they get together and maybe as long as there's some kind of twist at the end, I, I'll be whatever. We'll see. I think they're gonna start like they started. Uh, uh, at the beginning of uh, episode seven, where uh, you'll see Tom Cullen finding Stu, and then they'll cut to them just edging over the cliff. Like, wait a second, how <laughs> how did they do that? Like, <laughs> yeah, how did that happen? Whoa, <laughs> Stu. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where they take it from here. Yeah. We're boring. I'm just happy you and I stuck through this so far for so long. We we have to, and like we talked about, because you're like, I think we're the only ones talking about this. Stuff. I'm not seeing any other ones. I, oh. I Google, I actually YouTube that, and people have done an episode review, but that's yeah. it. Nobody's sticking with this week after week. They're mostly episode one reactions and episode two, and that's it. And then they they walk out. Yeah, I think <laughs> we're the only ones that are doing this weekly. We we have to see how it ends, but it's sad because there's some. Th- this should be have been made for a, a true miniseries, um, and especially the way uh, in this new millennium, the way miniseries really work, or these kind of um, short seasons of I think of Mr. Mercedes and Castle Rock, and uh, some other Stephen King. They they knew what to do with this material and flesh it out. And I didn't do I didn't count the time Good because point. technically. Uh, uh, the original miniseries series was how many? Four episodes, an hour each. It, two, it hours two, each. two hours each. So it ended up being a little over six hours. So that's quite a bit of time. This one is not that much more. If you count that each one of these was about an hour, so far it's only been a couple hours more total, if that. And they really haven't. <laughs> they much. really did 
they really did a lot more in the original miniseries than we've been given so far. I yeah, that's I, I, so what I'm glad you mentioned the time too, because it feels like the original miniseries had so many more, much more time, because they covered so many more things in the book and explored the characters more. I mean, the plague was the first two. It was the first episode. It was the first two hours of the whole thing. This they kind of glossed over it in flashbacks, and you know what it is. I think the flashbacks early on really hurt this. Just messed this it point. up. Yeah. Well, you think about Nick Andros, you think about the Rob Lowe version. Um, you got to know him, you got to see him doing different things, and he was on his own journey. This Nick yeah. Andros, I think he was in three, four scenes, and just nothing. You know? And he, he was, when Nick Andros dies in the bombing, that is supposed to mean something, and this one is kind of, they yes. never, never mentioned him again. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, Nick Andros was such a, was the heart. If he was the soul of the original one, Stu Redman was the heart. Yeah, and, and I, I, he they glossed over it, and his death was kind of like eh, whatever. Uh, it, it it should have meant more. Yeah, I remember reading Stephen King um, talking about he got he gets about halfway through, and he realizes uh, I think he said he realizes one there was too many characters, and two he was kind of he didn't necessarily say, you know you have to kill your children, but he's like you got to do something that takes the rug out of yeah uh, under you know you have to you know he's made it as difficult as possible he's like what can i do next and one of those was killing nick andros that even as he was writing it he knew this was a kind of beloved character oh and that's why he did the bombing that's why yeah. that was thrown in there halfway through get some multiple people out of the picture to to, to thin the herd <laughs> that'll do it yeah that's interesting because i wonder how harold would have been if he didn't go that route is yeah. harold was just always weird, but then he turned evil halfway through. Yeah, and he was supposed. To, they do it a little bit. Uh, they do it awkwardly in the original miniseries because uh, I can't remember the the kid's name that played him. It was Parker Poor Lewis, Kate Lewis. Yeah, um, because he starts off with some fake zits and stuff, and and yeah. greased back hair, and then in the book he's supposed to kind of become into his own and becomes kind of more handsome. And they started to do that a little bit. Um, yeah. But, uh, it, it was supposed to be kind of a. He was supposed to kind of metamorphosize into kind of something cooler, something better. Yeah, I agree. It was kind of weird in the '94 one with the the footing of that, yeah. where he's just it, kind of like. It was it was the equivalent of you know it was the guy version of equivalent of you know putting glasses and paint on her clothes for a girl and you take him off and she's beautiful. <laughs> we didn't realize every was, '90s like teenage yes. high school comedy. It's like oh wow, I didn't realize that. Just like glasses and the. If you stop wearing those uh, coveralls with paint on them, guys would notice you more. <laughs> <laughs> what movie is that from? It's like every movie. I just like. She's I, all I, that. And I do know they make fun of it in, I think, was it Not Another Teen Movie? Uh, they, yeah. They, <laughs> they do that exactly. And it, it works yep. so well because that's exactly what happens. Yeah, but yeah just I think take it the is. glasses off. Uh, one of those where, like, yeah, I'm like, oh. Just let your hair down. I'm like, but I always wear a ponytail. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so just to wrap up the stand to your point about Nick Andrews, because he was such an integral character in the book, and they just glossed over him. I, I felt like, on the other hand, Harold Lauder got more attention than he deserved in the miniseries, in this one, in the miniseries, because uh, he he's an important part of the book. But they focus like almost too much on him here and his character development, and they make it kind of all about him. Yeah. And it, it just doesn't work because the payoff isn't as good. He dies, and then he's out of it, and, and things nobody, were going the way they were going anyway. Yeah, and nobody really cares, or we didn't care. I don't know if, if people kind of care no. about that character. Well, but... nobody else is watching it, so. 
people that know. So nobody really truly really cares. No, really. I think it's just us. I think at CBS, they're like, we got Robert and Matt coming in <laughs> again. And you know what they're doing? They're releasing Clarice as soon as this is done to keep people like they're roped like, in. Let's get these people going. <laughs> yeah. So I, literally, I think the week the stand wraps, Clarice, the new miniseries starts oh, from CBS. That'll be something to. Uh... I'll try to. I'll keep my expectations in check for that as well. But. I'm going to rely on you because I'm canceling CBS All Access All right. once the stand's over. It's becoming Paramount Plus is the new thing. Something's happening. I can't remember. So I think in March it becomes Paramount Plus. So I don't know if that means more. CBS movies. All Access does? Yes. If it has all the Paramount movies in it, I'll keep it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll see kind of what that's all about. But I think they realize that this is not cutting it and uh, <laughs> suckers like us on. buying uh buying it for uh mini series that really aren't going anywhere well really it's it's a cable tv station that doesn't deserve its own streaming and by the way watch the stand on cbs all access it's great <laughs> they should at least send us some swag for talking about the stand, i think we I deserve think. a sweatshirt or a cap at this point I think I'm going to have to send this clip to him. Maybe but, Inferno but, shot glasses or something. Well, here, here's the thing. It's like Netflix um, is the king of streaming. I don't really like a lot of the stuff they have on there. and They don't have the best selection. But you pay for Netflix, one fee, you get what you get, and it changes. Disney has Disney Plus, which is good. But then they were like, you know, they did this with Mulan and they're, Mulan, and they're doing this with something else. Get like early access for a different forty bucks. It's not how this works. You pay the streaming platform, that's what you get. Yeah. You don't there's no extra fees. And and CBS is uh, in my opinion, just a cable station. And you, you, why why would you pay the money, except if you want to watch the stand <laughs> to to get the streaming platform? Like I don't know. I, not everybody needs a podcast. Not everybody needs a streaming platform. I don't know why like these Everyone feels the need to have this subscription because they're they're tanking. Yeah, and it's interesting because like you know people that have cut the cable are now paying more than ever uh, for <laughs> to have Apple TV and Hulu and Disney Plus and uh, that's the irony. Now it was oh, I just have Netflix. That's great for like a few months, mm-hmm. but then you want to watch other stuff, and by cherry picking, you're paying the same amount. Yeah. Now Disney can kind of work because they they have some tentpole items: The Mandalorian. Like WandaVision, I think yeah. when you talk about Mulan, where the the easiest one to where people would pay to see a first run film extra would be like if they come out with a new Avengers film. Even those with Disney Plus, they would pay who knows how much just they want to see it. Um, I think so. It doesn't. It didn't work for Wonder Woman. It didn't work for <laughs> Mulan. Yeah. You know, so it's people are really picky on what they pay, and and I'm the first to say. I have no sense that if they pay, you know, fifteen dollars to watch a new movie, and I'm, and I'm like, oh, I don't know, I don't even get to have it. And meanwhile, I would spend right. thirty dollars at the actual theater <laughs> to see a movie and eat popcorn and and. That's what that's I want to do. Yeah, I want to go have the movie experience. And yeah. I, I like Disney Plus a lot. I own it. I think it's it has Darby O'Gill and the Little People, of course. <laughs> but I I don't know. I feel like they're they're doing a lot of the uh, a lot of these streaming services or pay more for this. And it's like, I already paid you 16 bucks this month. Uh, I'm not, that's, that's the service. It's like, why pay more? You know, everybody does it. It's not just Disney plus it's, 
HBO and everything. But uh, I don't know. I feel like Netflix, that's why they're still on top and outnumbering all of those as far as statistics and subscribers is you pay your 15 bucks a month or whatever, mm-hmm. and, and that's it. You get it all. It's right there. And Amazon Prime is a certain amount. At least they have a little double... If you're an Amazon Prime member, you have your shipping or whatever, and it doesn't seem like that big of an issue. And then they seem to, Amazon Prime is really good for uh, your 80s and 90s movies that you kind (laughs) of forgot about. And you're just like, oh. That's always my first two thing that I go to every night. If I watch TV, it's always Amazon Prime, what's like streaming. And they have like 80s sections, you know, like 80s binge. And you watch, you know, Karate Kid 3. (laughs) Yes. Um, its favorite film. <laughs> Speaking of the 80s, what do we have a segment. Did I cut you off? Nope. I got you. Can you hear me? We have a great segment tonight. We uh, explored this Tabasco sauce on the last show about the, does it still hold up? And really, it's Robert and I are analyzing past films and seeing if they still hold up today. Uh, last week, we put together, Robert put together 1981's top grossing films and some other notable mentions in the top 30. And this week... Robert was gracious enough to put together the top movies of 1982. And this is according to boxofficemojo.com slash year. And I I should say, I did take out some because like Raiders of the Lost Ark showed up again in 1982 because it was still playing and still making money. And so I went back and I took out any 81 films that are just kind of lingering on. So it was interesting, you know, back then. Interesting. It says, you know, this Raiders played for 81 weeks. Can you imagine anything? Was it 81 like weeks? It was well over a year. I think it was. That's what it said. And I was just like, the last time that really happened was Titanic. Titanic. Uh, Titanic was number one for months, and rare, we've never seen. It was that a again. year though, was it? What's that? Well, I don't no. think Titanic was 81 weeks though. No, it might have been in theater because it was a number one from December through April or May. It was like a ridiculous, and it, it was yeah. box office number one. Nothing could beat it except for <laughs> Lost in Space. Somehow, it's the one that edged Titanic, Titanic out of the number one. Was spot. it Lost in Space? It was. I don't. I just remember that because you'd kind of walk. It was kind of, uh, I'd say, inspiring because it was, and it's not really a little film that could. But Titanic was a film that was destined not to work, and it was supposed to come out in the summer and had two studios financing because it was so expensive, and it was supposed to be kind of this huge failure um, that we were kind of, people were kind of expecting it to sink, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> but it it caught on with every age group, and people would go back, me included, again and again and again. And that's sure. what films like that, or Raiders of the Lost Ark, or... A uh, number of other films. Uh, that's what people did. That's what happened too. And I remember what Jordan just real quick about Titanic. That's and I like the movie a lot. Like Leonardo DiCaprio is my favorite actor of all time. I like anything he's in. I saw that movie a bunch of times. I really enjoyed it. There were people I was friends with that you know didn't like it, but they were still seeing it like three or four times because they were with people that were going to go watch it again, or they're with their girlfriend or their boyfriend mm-hmm. or somebody. It's like we're going to go see it, and you just could not avoid seeing that movie in the theater. I think like the second time I saw it is with two of my buddies that they were they were not film guys. They were not that wasn't a movie they were they were gonna go see. And they're like, I guess we'll go see it because like we have to see this. It's the only thing anybody was talking about. <laughs> and it, it dominated uh like that whole year. I mean that's 
the the magazine covers. I mean, that blew up Leonardo DiCaprio. He was already big from Romeo and Juliet and before, but that put him on the map as like, that's it. Yeah, that was all you heard about. Instant heartthrob. Um, it was, yeah, and, I, and I'm trying to think, because people went back over and over again. Like one, it had, there's some questionable special effects, but The Sinks of the Titanic was something you had to see in a theater. And it was just uh, yeah. seeing it snap in half. And I think in the trailer, what really hooked people is, and I, I didn't have that too much of a concept where it was actually vertical and it started sinking. And I was like, well, I have to see this. They That was kind of the, the trailer money shot uh, for sure. And then you add kind of the oh, yeah. romance on top of it and uh, the uh, the tragedy, of course, of it all, which... Now, it's it's funny that, because I know Rose says, you know, was it 1,500 people died in the water that night? That's literally half of our daily death total uh, right now. I know. It's so sad. It's it's so crazy. But you're right. And Billy Zane's in it. Uh, with his famous line. Yeah. <laughs> What's the line? Oh, he has many famous lines. Uh, or, like, ones that we continually repeat. Uh, not that you'll benefit much. Uh <laughs> I have a child. I have a child. And it's a nice little wig to pay. And David Warner, who's in every film imaginable. Yeah, how how did he get how does he get into every film? He's just in everything. And then it's funny because like he'll be in multiple Star Treks as different people. I'm like, we couldn't find another actor. I mean he's great. Uh he's in Time Bandits. <laughs> he's just like in any film. Is he in Time Bandits? I've never is. seen that, but I know he we've is. talked about that. He's just in in every film. He's one uh, of those guys. He's one of those character actors that you see, and you can think of like ten movies that he's in uh, off the bat. You're like, oh, he's in that. Like if you don't, if you never heard of him and you saw his face, you would know right away. Yeah, like the movies he's in. He gets a lot of work. His most famous movie he was in recently. Is he still alive? I don't know if he is. I'll yeah. let you check that. Uh, he's alive. He's 79. He's a youthful 79. Oh, okay. He, he's one of those that's probably always been, I should say, kind of the Wilford Brimley is like, has always kind of looked old, no matter yeah, what like age Sean he was. Yeah, he's like Sean Connery or Wilford Brimley. Yeah. He's always kind of looking old. Um, so these are the, uh, does, do they still hold up? Uh, how this works is we're going to run through the top movies of 1982 and, and stick our pinky toe and some other contenders. We're going to start off with, of course, the largest, uh, the highest grossing film out at that time, Steven Spielberg's E.T. And my money is that, yes, it's a classic. Aside from some minor edit, re-edits, it still holds up, the original. Oh, yeah. So I was a 12-year-old, which is probably the same age as Elliot. I can't remember. So the, I felt like the movie was made for me, and everybody wanted to have E.T. in their closet. And... Um, as a sad film, I remember I was like, oh, I can't be crying at the end. You know, like as a kid, you know, you're you try to, young boy, you try to keep it together. Um, but yeah, it definitely holds up. And I should, we should say the theatrical version, not the uh, no. post 9 11 walkie talkie version. No, where they edit out the walk, the, the guns and they, the word terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> but by the way, how can you not cry at ET, though? At I know. the end? Oh, to this day. It's it's a well-paced movie. It's scary. I mean, I don't know if movies like that, I mean, the first time seeing it, you don't know what's going on when Elliot's out in the cornfields and uh, it's scary. I mean, it's, it's like a real horror movie. 
legitimate scary uh, atmosphere. It does. It echoes Close Encounters of the Third Time mixed with some of his other films. Um, has that adventure sense. And I think Peter Coyote's character was going to be played by Harrison Ford, but Ford wouldn't do it. But Ford did play the principal. He played the principal. Yeah. During the but frog scenes. Dee Wallace Stone is everybody, our favorite mom. She's perfect as the mom. She's great. She's in Cujo too, right? Yes. Young Drew Barrymore. Great cast. Yeah. Rocky three. I saw is this it's... in the theater. It was my first Rocky I've ever seen. Mr. Oh, that's T. a good one to see. Yeah. <laughs> see, if you're going to see any Rocky, it would be like four or three in the theater for your first one. It definitely was the most accessible, you know, for a kid, you know, like you went, you'd have to see other Rockies and it was really, it moved on at a quick pace and you knew what was going on. It wasn't as, uh, wasn't as uh, drama as, as the first one or two. I saw Rocky five as my first one in the theater. It, I was like, this sucks. <laughs> Even as a kid, my dad was like, that's, that's not how they really are, Matthew. This isn't the way. <laughs> that's not really how they are. It was, it was rough. Um, <laughs> Rocky three holds up. I've always loved the Rocky movies, even five, just as a guy from Philadelphia, I, I love them, but uh, the, the music doesn't hold up. And the, um, the, the, some of the scenes are really ridiculous because Rocky three has that glossy. I, I don't think the film holds up. I like the, I like the, the movies. I like Mr. T. I like it, but the glossy scenes of them like jumping up and down in the water. Mm-hmm. I mean, who does that Slow when you work out? You just start jumping around, <laughs> splashing each other. That's that's not a Rocky workout. does. Rocky does. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. Well, I, it's like I, I enjoy it, but it's the L.A. version of Rocky. I mean, <laughs> well, they went from one and two, like the heart of Philadelphia. This guy, the purpose was him, an underdog, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it's like you're splashing around on Santa Monica. I don't know. It's I love yeah. the movie. But. It's it's one I wouldn't stop and watch again. I might watch a few minutes if I'm clicking through, but yeah, it's not one I'm like, ooh, I need to start start from the beginning on this one. <laughs> Can't talk tonight. Got Rocky Three coming on. <laughs> oh, and this part of it got to rewind. Um, an officer and a gentleman. Uh, Rock- does not hold up for me, and and it it didn't held up at the time. That was a little too dramatic for me. Is this the one with Richard Gere? Yes, and Deborah Winger. Yeah, I, I didn't particularly like that film. Um, I my get my vote would be it, it doesn't hold up uh, based on what I remember. And Louis Gossett Jr. won Best Supporting Actor for this film, and in the Best Supporting Curse, his next film was Jaws 3D. <laughs> <laughs> you just watch every time somebody wins a Best Supporting Actor or Actress. Their next film that they is just crap. Oh yeah, like Holly <laughs> Berry with love, Monsters Ball yeah. and then I, Catwoman. Yes, <laughs> terrible. Who who else did that? It was uh, it was a lot of people. Yeah, um, almost every single time it's just like it's like oh that's that's the best. Uh, that's your follow up. You go with the money. I don't know. You know what I think it is? I think it's what it's that. It's you you just won an Oscar, and. Unless you're already signed to it, you're like, well, I'm an Oscar winner. Let's just do something fun and something for the money, and and that's it. And there, I, I feel like many people aren't very selective. Yeah. You By know? the time they have to walk in the theater a year later, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. People are like, they won? <laughs> yeah, Holly Berry. It's like, what happened? Nick at Cage. Le- she at least picked up her own Razzie, which I appreciate. 
Yeah, um, she's a good sport about it. Yeah, that's why I'm like, okay, I, I give her credit for that. Yeah, I do too. Porky's 1981. This is the comedy about the... Is it 81 from 82? 82, I'm sorry. It does still hold up for me. Uh, even though, so I did give that a, a little bit of a rewatch. It was on uh, one of the cable channels the other day. There's still things that I laugh at, <laughs> which yeah, I, I shouldn't, but I do. Beulah I agree. Ball breaker. Well, I think it holds up too. I, I did watch it the other day. It was probably the same time you were. Um, it was on, and I was like, "This is great." <laughs> I like how the you know the uh, Beulah Ball breaker. So you know, so she's like the fat lady at the circus. I'm like, she's really not that overweight. <laughs> really, yeah, really not. No, but, um, but it is funny though. Um, but yeah, can you ever, you know, I guess American Pie was our kind of our nineties version of, of Porky's that, that, and at that time that was like as raunchy as it gets. Um, and so Porky's is, is kind of tame, obviously in comparison, but, uh, but I, I agree there, there's still, there's a couple of tentpole scenes in that film that still, still work for me. Like which ones? Um, Beulah Ballbreaker in the shower when <laughs> The guys are looking through um, the uh, the setup that they have in the woods uh, with the prostitute and the big uh, guy attacking them. <laughs> yeah. I don't. There's still things that I don't. It's very stupid. It still makes me laugh. But yeah, it's like it's like up there with like meatballs. It's one of those like quirky kind of stupid movies, but they're it's like fun. It's a fun ride. And now people would probably look at it and be like, "This is not funny." But you know, it was Bob Clark. I mean, he yeah. his Christmas Story. Yeah, Black Christmas. Uh, he was, he was good at what he did, and baby geniuses. Oh, baby! Well, have to... <laughs> that's all. That's, there's, there's not a finer film of our generation than Baby Geniuses. I've went and did the locations for Baby Geniuses on purpose. <laughs> did you really? Oh yes. Yeah. Good for you. See, you're a craftsman. I am. I was like, it's a, and actually, I drugged my friends to see Baby Geniuses too in the theater. You dragged them or drugged them up, like well, and actually, and because here, here's the thing: it is a guilty pleasure. It's an awful film, um, but I bought my friend uh, the Baby Geniuses doll, and we brought the doll to the theater. They, they were marketing dolls then. Yeah, you could buy Baby Geniuses doll, um, and so uh, my friend actually that. brought the the doll with him to the theater and. Who knows what these people think? Like, oh my god, these wackos! Or who, one who's going to see Baby Geniuses too? Um, and who else <laughs> actually bought a doll from the movie? Do you originally? still have this doll? I, my, I bought it for my best friend, and so it's his uh, his doll that I bought to him. I don't think he has it anymore. Yep, there it is. <laughs> you need to get this doll back. Ah, uh, and everyone, I still say because like I, I don't know if you're familiar with Baby it's Geniuses. Amazing. And I know we're going on a total. Uh, no, I know. I know. I interrupted the entire point. segment, yeah. baby. But, but it's hilarious uh, that this exists. I'm glad yeah. that you did this. The point of the movie is like they, they you know, babies are really are, are geniuses, and they're they're talking. If you could just understand them, and so the movie had this kind of bad CGI, you know, where the, the kids are talking and their lips are not moving. You know, they're forcing their lips into kind of computer generation. It's so, like when animals talk in films, like in. Yeah. live action films they can understand yeah. each other but people can't now that street that you're looking at or just above it if you go to one of the pictures that's actually halloween street uh this from one? The yeah the original halloween and uh you, right right there that's where um hey jerk speed kills oh i can see that and he stops yep. the station wagon yep. same street right there 
Hey, jerk, speed kills. <laughs> Is that when uh, Don't Fear the Reaper was playing? Um, no, that was a, a different scene. That was when they were driving. Yeah, when they were driving to, to babysit. But um, I actually went to the, the baby genius's house. And I think it's like an apartment or something weird. So I went right you know to the what? back. I know where this is. I've seen this yeah. tree. In fact, so, somebody actually made a point of like telling me some useless fact about this tree. <laughs> like it's protected or something in is it? Pasadena. And that's why it's in has its own thing. Yeah, that's what, yes. That's the house. Where this the, is, the we're changing the name of the show from <laughs> Set Jenner Saturdays to Baby Genius Reviews because this is taking over. This is great. Um, now, I can probably guarantee no other websites have done Baby Geniuses. Wait, who is this actress? Uh, Kim Cattrall. I was just going to so, say, we were just using Porky's. Yeah, so, so that's why I said Bob Clark. That's what kind of reminded me because. Uh, he directed her in Porky's as well. So yes, it is Kim Cattrall. Got her in this movie, and this is actually Laurie Strode's house from the Halloween remake. Oh, behind them, the zombie one. Yep. Oh, this is so cool. That's a good. It's a good set visit. Yeah. So this is this is almost Tom Hanks. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, he does look kind of like a Tom, doesn't he? Like a younger kind yeah. of shorter hair Tom Hanks. And of course, Sony Pictures is the uh, one of the locations for the Baby Geniuses Incorporated. Why Lions. do they have a Baby Geniuses Plaza? Because that's how much money Baby Geniuses, the company, makes. So Kathleen, they have quite a quite a corporate structure here. They do. Kathleen Turner is the the CEO of Baby Geniuses, and so um, you'll recognize. Obviously, this has been used in The Running Man and all sorts of. Uh, oh yeah. Last Action Hero. Wait, which Last Action Hero? In the hotel? Uh, no, this was the police station in Last Action Hero. Oh, yeah. Where, where Robert Patrick and uh, Sharon Stone, they bump into them. And, yes. Yep. It's great. What's uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character's name in Last Action Hero? John? Uh, Jack, no. Jack something, isn't it? Jack Slater. Yeah. Slater! <laughs> Why well, no one's screaming? I'm not deaf. That's a uh, guilty pleasure is... movie. This is when the limousine backs into the driveway? Yep, or I think it's leaving. I can't remember. So this is actually, yeah, this is kind of almost looks exactly like Halloween where speed kills and you see him oh, yeah, the station so wagon cool. stopping down the street. So, of course, I just recognized the trees immediately. So, And this actually, this spot was also used in Halloween, the remake, where the girls are walking to school. So just catty corner to that. Oh, yeah. Sorry I had to crowbar this in, but... Now, get the baby. There I am. Yep. And you can tell it's a day one travel. I'm wearing my Madonna shirt. There it is. The lucky shirt. <laughs> the what lucky... else was this house in? Was this house used in something else? I don't know if it was. And I, I can't even remember how I found it. Uh, that, but... That's not Christopher Lloyd's house, though, in Back to the Future. No, no. That's okay. the Gamble house. Yeah, this is something else. Because it's kind of tucked away. And I just I couldn't tell if it was a part. I don't know. I just parked and actually walked around the back. That's a cool house, though. Yeah. No, it's a nice big house. All right. We'll go back to the list. I yeah. just wanted to <laughs> crowbar this in for everybody. Please visit set-jetter.com. Wait, uh, real quick, what year was this that you made this trek? Um, I don't know. It was probably about five, six years ago, maybe. Okay. That was Baby Geniuses. Please rent the movie. Actually, don't purchase Please just purchase it. You know, Baby Geniuses became a franchise too. That the second one came in the theater, and then they made 
two or three sequels direct to streaming afterwards that are just have you awful. seen them i sat through most of one it's done mostly on green screen uh <laughs> it just to give you a little bit of a but yeah so it's it's as painful as the first two were they they don't hold a candle to to the rest did did baby geniuses do well though at the theater it probably did then it did somewhat well because uh obviously they they made a sequel <laughs> and did i yeah, stop sharing my screen I, I thought i did no i i still see it oh i don't know what happened um, okay i see well, I, yep go ahead I'm sorry. The next on the list, number six. I'm surprised this is not higher up on the list. But Star Trek, Star Trek Two. Uh, this is Wrath of Khan. Yes. Right. Is yes. is number six. Yeah. Which does obviously that's pretty good for a Star Trek, considering the first one I don't think did as well. But it was a summer movie. It was a big summer for movies, so it's lucky it got what it did. I think. But and obviously this is a lot of people's favorite Star Trek. I would believe it holds up. I've never seen any Star Trek movie ever. What? Not so, even the ones with Chris Pine. Oof. Well, this is the one to see, I think. This is the one that kind of resuscitated, uh, that made Star Trek kind of worthwhile again. So the first Star Trek people were kind of get into and it was way too long. It was almost more of a 2001. This was kind of a more space oh. adventure. And uh, uh, Nicholas Meyer took over the directing reins and kind of really made it. Uh, tried to, he tried to make it authentic, kind of like this is a battleship. Uh, the, is this the one with the whales? Nope, that's Star Trek Four. That was kind of the comedy Star Trek. You shot that one recently. You posted it. Yeah, yeah. So that was shot mostly in San Francisco. So this is the Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. In your opinion, is probably the best. Um, it's up there. I, I also like Star. I like Star Trek Four, and I like Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. Um, but. They oh. usually say the even-numbered ones, uh, two, four, six, are the the good ones. How many did they make in the original run? Um, or the eighties, nineties run? Star, yeah, Star Trek Seven was Generations, so that was kind of the combo. So Star Trek Six was kind of the final one with the original cast, and Generations, the next one was began to kind of do the hybrid. It was more Next Generation, but I got you. I never really explored the Star Trek. There was always so much like going on. There was like Voyager and. All kinds of spinoffs. I never like embraced it. I'm sure I would enjoy them. I I'm sure like, on like, Paramount like, Plus. Paramount Plus, can't yeah. wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I I was looking now. I'm looking at your list. So on Golden Pond was number three, and that oh, does skipped over that. That does still hold up for me. Oh yeah, yeah. That won the Academy Award, I think, for best I picture. I think so, and I know they they had that one of the premieres here in Omaha too. Because that's a great flick. Henry Fonda is from omaha i think he was born here and so i remember jane fonda came to the premiere and i was more excited because uh, the only thing at that age i only knew jane fonda for nine to five and i was like i was so excited that she was just in town i wish could have met her but yeah that's exciting um and the they do the the cabin used in the film they i don't know if they still do but we were looking at it because they do rent that this cabin out uh you or you can airbnb it or whatever it happens to be so oh really uh, one of, on my bucket list is to stay at the On Golden Pond cabin. Where's that at? I'd have to look it up. I can't remember now. That's I'm so gonna say, cool. I'm going to say Maine, but I could be wrong. But That um, is a great film. It all, I, Now, Grant, I have not seen it in a while, but uh, Jane Fonda, Dab, Dabney Coleman. Catherine. It's no ordinary people, but it's up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so that I would still count as holds up. I would too, On Golden Pond. It, that always comes up too. 
in I feel like that's actually an underrated film, at least from what I remember. Um, it doesn't get enough enough recognition. I don't hear a lot of people saying like, "Hey, I watched it on Golden Pond last night." <laughs> you know, like hey, this doesn't happen. Did you guys see the new episode of On Golden Pond? On Golden Pond now streaming <laughs> with with James Marston. The next entry on the list, in my opinion, absolutely holds up. It's a great film. Craig T. Nelson in the classic Steven Spielberg Poltergeist, which was the answer, the <laughs> horror answer to E.T. Yes. I'm surprised and they came out in the same year. It, I have to say, it was a busy summer. And yeah, I, it's funny, you look at these 80s films, and they're like, no wonder we were loving the movies. There was just always something great happening and always something great to see. Yes. I would argue the 80s are the best decade ever for film. I would agree with you on that. You would? Yeah. I mean, I mean look, you I... start off with like a few Star Wars. You have all these great movies in between. You have Ghostbusters. You have all the 80s John Hughes. You have movies like Platoon. I mean, the whole decade, there was great films. You have Friday the 13th for horror. Every genre, every year had great stuff coming out. And Poltergeist is... I still watch it. I, I actually I did not see this in the theater because I was probably a scaredy cat. I do yeah. remember seeing it when the friend it first showed on cable, um, and I just remember it was it was dusk when it started, and it was just I, I just remember everything about that night, and I just just a classic classic film. It's and of a course, classic film. A great location. Um, my my Australian fan friends uh, were, they, when they were in town for the 40th anniversary of Halloween convention uh, in Pasadena, they wanted to see the Poltergeist House. And uh, they said, well, "We'll we'll just take a an Uber." And I'm like, "Or I'm like, I, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how much money it would cost." Wait, where were you staying? Pasadena, to Simi Valley. Uh, can you imagine how much? That, that's like a hundred dollar drive <laughs> at least. And I'm like, it's like, no, I'll I'll take you. And so I, I actually gave I did a horror movie tour for them. I took from like the Poltergeist house and the Poltergeist two house and the Halloween. What a great host you are. Stuff like that. So well, they they love horror movies. So. Um, you you, you got to do it. I, and it, they just had never been before. And so I've been a few times, and you get a little jaded. Um, but it's just nice to see people get excited about uh, seeing these places. Was this the Poltergeist House was shot in Simi Valley? But that's different than the neighborhood that the ET house was shot in, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, because that was in Panorama City. No, it was in. Is it Tuyunga? Tahunga? Yeah. Tahunga. That's where E.T. was, right? Yes. Yep. Because they look similar, obviously. Any architecture in that part of California built in that time is going to look similar. But yeah, I think it would be cool if they were in the same universe. They could be. You don't know. You never know. You sh- I like that you went to the Poltergeist set and you did those locations. That's yeah. A, that's an iconic movie. Yeah. So this, and I know you're kind of looking at it. This is hard. You kind of get, get those shots on the hill. The tree is gone uh, that used to be there. Oh, it's right in the middle. That's a weird yeah. spot. It looks yeah. like the E.T.'s neighborhood, which is why I brought it up. It uh, And so a part of this, yeah, kind of, this is kind of Agora Hills. We haven't hit Simi Valley yet. So um, so I did the best I could without actually going up on the hills to uh, <laughs> get these places. And now we're in Simi Valley. And these houses really have not changed at all. You know, when I look through your website, because I, I, I do go to your site quite a bit, um, it makes me want to watch a lot of these movies again. And I do. I'll like look for it that night, and I'll be like, "Oh, I want to watch Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. 
or something mm-hmm. because you do, do you ever get that when looking through your site or do you not look through your site because it's like every, work? every once in a while so like if a film like you know i try to follow anniversaries and so sometimes i haven't seen a film or i'm creating a page i'm like oh i should give that a watch and i'm not going to be able to oh. remember what i just did but uh but yeah i was like i'm like oh i watched this again it was funny i was laughing but yeah so i um i didn't get into the backyard but at the time there was no house behind the poltergeist house and so i just kind of walked across i parked i went around the street did you and, and, and walked across and put my camera above the the stone fence and just got the shots i could now they're building a house there so you wouldn't be able to get these shots wow you're in the know you get it yeah. though you got the shots yeah i wanted to see what it looked like back there you know i'm like how am I? and it actually looks so obviously they shot some of it back there and then they built uh, in the studio where they dig out the pool and everything. That's so cool. You're listening to the podcast. We are talking with Robert Patterson. We are doing the segment, Do They Still Hold Up? And I'm sorry for digressing, but I, I remember you've, you've done some of these shots, and I, I had to like kind of dive back into it because yeah. uh, it's really interesting that you did this. You're the set jetter. You you were there. <laughs> it's a popular house. And then and I think if you go down a little bit, because I know some, some things have changed because uh, some parts oh, yeah. have I think some of that front walk was kind of destroyed in the um, there's the Northridge earthquake, um, oh, so they yeah. kind of re- redid some of the brick and stuff. But I-, I love the scene where the daughter gets dropped off from the date, and the guy <laughs> hightails it out of there. I was like, good for him. Who wouldn't have done that? She's like, what's? And I still do. Anytime I believe Flazer, I'm like, what's happening? What's happening? This was in Star Trek, right? Uh, I don't. This was in Planet of the Apes, or, Planet of the or, Apes. That's or one, one, not the original, but one of them and stuff like that. It was that, in so. Conquest of the Apes. Yeah, so I didn't get quite a screen accurate shot here because I was there was nowhere to park. <laughs> Wait, you did Conquest of the Apes there? I don't think I did. No. Did you do Planet I, of the Apes? I did Rise of the Planet of the Apes, the Vancouver one with James Franco. That's a good flick. Yeah. These are great shots. So, Does this house rank up there with? Probably not the ET house, but other homes that get visited a lot. I think, yeah, I think a lot of people will stop by this, and I'm sure they're sick of people. Uh... <laughs> the ET house has to, because from what I remember, it's in like a cul-de-sac, right? Yeah, or it's it's not quite. It comes out of a big turn. So um, okay, but you know, I think most people they get out, they take their pictures, and then they move on. So um, I don't think I don't. You don't see people, or not that I know of, running up to the porch of this house uh, like you would the Elm Street house. No, true. Yeah, uh, I'll jump back to the list. Next on the list is I love this film. For me, it holds up. Best Little Whorehouse of Texas. <laughs> it has it has Dolly Parton singing "I Will Always Love You," and it has Burt Reynolds in this prime. It's it's <laughs> it's great. I love it. Uh, I, here's the thing. I have not seen it. this in years and years, so I'm going to take your your word that this this still holds up. I don't know if you want to do that. No, so I'm, I, I did. Well, I'm, I did, I'm impartial to it. I love the film. I also I, love a night at the Roxbury, Robert. I saw the house, um, so I think that's on my I, website. I know. Yeah, we're, we're pulling it up. <laughs> so obviously, a lot of the close-ups and a lot of the main part of the house was shot at Universal Studios, and and that you can still see this house on the tour. But uh, obviously, uh, for the long shots and the kind of the helicopter shots, uh, they it was an actual house in Texas. Where in the name of Warren Buffett's cream chip beef is Pflugerville, Texas? <laughs> Here's the thing. All I know is it's about a, a quarter of a mile from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Next Generation house. 
Oh, is, really? Is almost across the street. Yeah. And Next Generation came out what year? I think it was '94 or something like that. '94. I think, or it was one of those films that sat on the shelf for two years, um, and then they finally released it because of the obvious. Yeah, but so pretty good shots. I thought considering great the shots side of the road uh, <laughs> looks the same. Yeah, and it's Texas, so who knows? You're putting your life at risk anytime you stop. Was this a trip you had a travel partner with for safety reasons? I did not. No, but <gasps> I, I was literally so what? I. This particular Texas trip was kind of fraught with uh, it was it was kind of a scary trip because it was the floods were happening farther south, and so um, my oh. hotel, I I'd look out my hotel and the parking lot was full of white trucks because that's where all the people were staying that were working on fixing white trucks or white trash white trucks uh, okay. because they were all people <laughs> they would leave every morning you know at five in the morning to go fix roads and get capacity built back and so and gas was hard to find like literally one out of five gas stations was open and you didn't know if they wow. had fuel and stuff like that so so i'm driving around these texas back roads doing texas chainsaw massacre locations and all sorts of things and so it's kind of it to me it's always freaks me out a little bit uh, uh to be on those it does feel like you're in texas chainsaw massacre but i, yeah. I would get worried because i'm like am i going to be able to find gas without running out or i would be afraid of that good you said this is during like the galveston flooding they had from the hurricane yeah yeah that that was a bad time that was it was 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 like and i remember because i was supposed to fly they i was actually supposed to fly into houston to get to austin and they of course switched me to denver because houston airport wasn't even open um i was like should i be going but i did you're you're a dedicated man to the crowd that is scary though to be under that just first of all, to be where you are under those situations of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm-hmm. my imagination would run a little wild. Like, what's going to happen <laughs> if I break it down? Is Leatherface going to come out screaming? You do feel like it. You're, you're looking in your rearview mirror for uh, the truck. <laughs> do you have cell service there? Uh, I did. Um, but I, I packed a lot in that trip because I did Dazed and Confused and Miss Congeniality and. Uh, oh. Uh, Waiting for Guffman, and I just I did so many films. That's on a great it. flick. Yeah, I love your I love the stories, the Set Jetter stories. That's why it's Set Jetter Saturdays. And next is the I, I believe this won an Academy Award, Chariots yeah. of Fire, with the most overused iconic theme song in film history. I think they use it in every other commercial. Yes, and then spoofs, and so I I saw this in the theater because I was like one of those kids that thought, oh, I should see the Oscar-winning film. You had a great childhood experience with the films. <laughs> so boring. Uh, <laughs> no way. I mean, that's cool to be able to see yeah. all these theatrically. Yeah, yeah but so uh, the movie, it didn't work for me the first time and didn't really, has not held up since. But No, I'm with you. And I was going to say, um, it doesn't hold up. I don't know if it ever has. The story itself, the true story, is pretty amazing, actually, and pretty inspiring. But I feel like this is one of those films that could be remade i just don't think it would do that well so i don't know it doesn't for me it doesn't hold up it's not a movie i'm probably ever going to watch again or i'm not going to race to to watch next no 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 need next is annie and we all love annie um daddy warbucks the whole nine yards it's an orphan with song i i love it does it hold up it does to me it does sure. to me too. It's, it's a great I, uh, film, right? How yeah. do you not love Annie? I love Annie. I was very sad because Anne Rankin just passed away uh, a couple months yes. ago. 
Um, yes. And she was, and I, I read something that she had a whole dancing scene cut out. She was supposed to have another dancing scene at Radio City Music Hall. And I was like, oh, I wonder if that's somewhere. I would love to see that. But so I went it's to. It's not online anywhere? Yeah, not that I know of, but but I went to some Annie locations, um, the the L.A. Warner Brothers studio. You posted that recently, yeah. maybe when she passed away. It was probably right around the time, because I think it just had their anniversary or something like that. So obviously they shot at Warner Brothers. Uh, they call it actually Hennessy Street. Um, so a lot of the street, I think it was made for Annie. And then if you go to Warner Brothers somewhere on that street, there's a placard that says uh, Hennessy. So this uh, right here, you might recognize from Purple Rain. This is the cover. of. Oh, that's Purple. the iconic cover. That's the cover right there. Oh, that's so cool. Yes, I do. So. Oh, this is also the Upside Down Kiss in Spider-Man? Absolutely, yep. So, yeah, a lot of people don't know that that was the cover shot for Purple Rain, but yeah, it's right there. I did not know that, but once you pointed it out. Then it's so obvious. Yeah. (laughs) That's so cool. Obviously, the street has been used over and over and over again um, for different films, and it's kind of been remade and things kind of look obviously they have different brick face that they put on there but i think it was in uh gremlins too in the first one right yes uh at the other side of it yep for chinatown yep chinatown and uh what's the adam sandler win don't you don't mess with the zohan <laughs> oh, I there, I, that I, one. there i did point it out so people could get reference there it is that's so yeah. cool <laughs> oh that's such a great shot that's a good matchup you posted one the other day too I forgot what it was, but you matched up the shot, as you usually do, um, completely to where like it kind of bleeds into the next one. There was one you posted one uh, uh, vertically, and there was like a pole in the window, and it shot up like right there. Like you match the shot perfectly, and you do that a lot, which works. And I don't think they even mention in the tour that Purple Rain. That's the shot. They rarely go back there. They just oh. kind of point out. They say, "Oh, that's an and iconic just- shot." Yeah, they like to point out, they like to tell the story that he had uh, Toby Maguire to put cotton ball up his nose because he was upside down and the water was getting in. And that's, if I have to hear that story one more time. Yeah, I'd rather hear about <laughs> Prince. But yeah, I think Prince fans would make a pilgrimage to, uh, there's Dale Hennessy. I'm sorry, I said it wrong. I would think so. And Aileen Quinn from Yardley, Pennsylvania. Oh, nice. Is she from Yardley? Yep. I've spent many, many nights in Yardley. Oh, this guy's great. Oh, Edward Herman. Was he a nice guy? He was, yeah. Very he sweet. He passed away. He passed away a couple years after that, yeah. So, But I'm glad I met him. And he still holds up? Do you want to it, dive into some other top contenders? It does still hold up. And I, I will tell you, I tried to get... I got I through about so. 10 minutes of the Annie remake uh, with... Uh, <laughs> who was in that? Rose Byrne and... I can't oh. remember. It's not good. I just tried, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, I that. have a musical I've written. Um, I have like seven or eight songs, but it's basically Annie meets Cats. It's yeah. uh, it's about cats that sing that are orphans, and for like five years, I keep saying every year I'm going to do it. I'm going to like publish it, and I haven't. But well, and now but cats that was my inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> I've listened to Annie and Cats so many times. <laughs> I wrote it on a keyboard. I'm like, it's going to be the next Stephen Sondheim. Well, you're going to have to let the, the trauma of Cats, the movie, calm down. So <laughs> I couldn't watch that. I didn't watch it. I knew I, I would. No. No. It, I like not, Cats, too. Yeah, it's not even worth seeing it to see how bad it is. I'm like, I, I don't need to see it. The did you see it enough. just to see how bad not. it was? I did not. Trailer was enough. Oh, my gosh. That trailer was an abortion. It was terrible. 
I mean, oh, I, I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, I, Annie definitely holds up. That's a great film. That's a great musical. Um, and I think it's timeless, really. I do, too. Other top contenders, First Blood. This, of course, was the first Rambo film. This came out 82, so it was right around Rocky 2, yeah. or after Rocky 2, pre-Rocky 3. And it was, yeah, so Stallone was getting big, um, and this was kind of an offshoot, and this was technically the first Rambo film um, before he really became Rambo. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, because you know, now people are like, "That's a Rambo," you know. It's not quite. This is kind of the more subdued version of his character, but yeah, he was John Rambo, the washed-up PTSD vet, where he became GI Joe. Like, yeah, later on, I think it still holds up in the sense that it's raw. It has a great cast. It has uh, Richard. Um, I forget his name. Uh, Richard Crenna. 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 Yep. Yeah, and uh, it does kind of explore. Uh, the dark side of PTSD and uh, yeah, visually they could have filmed it better, I think in some ways, but uh, I think it still holds up as a film yeah. itself and created a whole new franchise. Still going still. Oh, I, I did see last blood. <laughs> did you? I, I watched uh, That's another, I saw the trailer. I'm like, I think I've seen the film. I saw the trailer. That's enough. Isn't it? The trailer is better uh, in the yeah. sense is that it? It, it gives you, some kind of hope that there's entertainment there. It's it's really just a guy in a tunnel randomly killing like drug dealers. It's it's terrible. It's Last blood. Oh, all right. It's bad. Um the next one I think is a holdover from eighty one, so you probably can ignore that. Um oh, Reds. Reds. I think we talked about that already. Harold uh, Ramis? Uh no uh Warren Beatty. Oh, I'm thinking of stripes. Never yeah. saw Reds. Yeah. Not not a comedy. <laughs> Not a comedy. The next one is the best entry on the list. Friday the 13th Part 3. It definitely holds up. It it was for a while the highest grossing 3D film ever. Ooh, see? What knocked that out? Jaws 3? Uh, I don't know what it probably something else. Avatar or something like that. Wow. um, So for some people, this is their favorite Friday the 13th. Not, Not mine. It's my favorite. Is it? Um, yeah. Obviously, they he gets his mask in this one, and uh, and he's kind of it's it's the first kind of true. Obviously, Jason was in part two, but this is where Jason really became Jason, um, and so it became the first entry where he wore the mask. Yep, and certainly some shots were made for three D, so they look a little cheesy. But Higgins Haven, they got some great. Um, I, I thought they I thought they nailed it in this. Does it hold up? For me, it always will. Does it hold up in the broader s- stroke? Yeah, I think it does. You don't you 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 get what is associated with Friday the Thirteenth series in this. You get Jason in his prime. He's still a human, and it's uh, I think it's the best one. It's my favorite, it's, and I think it's the best one after Part Four. Yep, people like his scariness. Jason's kind of scariness. And He's kinda, still scary in this, and, and you did and a great people, job. People talk about um him running and you know he's running at the end and stuff like that toward you know with kind of yeah. that dream sequence but yeah there's poor harold and ed that's long gone i i googled uh mapped this the other week after the show and um it was amazing you got this shot because on google maps you can't it doesn't go down here it's like a side road mm-hmm. which we'll see in a second you don't mind that i jumped to the page no, did you no you're fine and uh you actually walked down there so did you like park 
right there on the side of the road? Yeah, I drove down. I think the next shot kind of because there's there's still kind of some road down there, and uh, just to kind of see what I could see, and like that's the best I could get the stone that you're looking at. I'm like, well, a lot of it's kind of carved off, but you can still match um, <laughs> a, a little bit of the the stone uh, that's still there. And it's yeah, it's still there, which is cool. This is Har- was it Harold and Edna? Uh, Harold and Edna, yep. Yeah. Uh, this shot, real quick. Um, I wonder what this what this was when they filmed it. It because it, it's a weird spot for a store, but then again, in the canyons, there are those random stops because there's nothing else around. So, do do you remember? Like, was this a I, for store? some reason? I think it was a store. It also sure showed up in a deleted scene of the Terminator. Um, oh. And it's right next to, is it called Bouquet Falls or something like that? Or something falls. Yeah, um, bo- uh, yeah, Bouquet. Uh, is that what it's called? Well, I know it's Bouquet Canyon. I don't yeah. know what the, yeah, it's probably Bouquet Falls. Yeah, so anywhere, th- I think this is where people, you could hike kind of to the falls and stuff like that. So, and I'm, I'm connected somehow because I know somebody has, it, there's a lot of graffiti and, and so somebody has kind of taken it to all the rocks and stuff like to really kind of get rid of the graffiti and kind of make it a, a nice place again. But, and I actually haven't been to the falls themselves, but. It's a cool shot that you yeah. want. I guess in a later scene is when uh, you kind of see where I drove down. But here's Vera Street, or what is left of it. So on this, you can only see, um, if you go back one shot, or uh, you see that little triangle in the far, the house on the corner? <laughs> and you see a little triangle, you know, kind of Eve. Yeah. Yep. So that's one of the only <laughs> buildings that still exist on that side. Oh, no way. Yeah. You're right. And so this is this is actually I'm pretty proud of this accomplishment. But this one was, and this isn't the house that I used to find the street. But I think it's in the next shot uh, has that. But um, so this house it's not right, even there. Yeah. So uh, the house. So if you look at the house on the right, oops, go back. Sorry. The first this, one. This one. Yep. So you see a little black corner at the top of that house. And if you go black back, corner. go back one more picture. Yep. Again. Yep, so, yeah, so the the house on the right, if you go to the very top, there's a tiny, tiny little black triangle. Sorry. Right here. Yep. And that's Oh, that's all, how you matched it? All I had. <laughs> that's wow, all I that's had. Wow, that's some forensic yeah. sleuthing there. Yes. And then, so once I found that house, and then if you kind of go to the next kind of couple of shots, you could begin to see how it began to match up. Um, so, because now it's, uh, there's no houses, there's apartments, and then... Uh, oh my go gosh! Little, you go a little bit further down, or in this thread? Yeah, keep going. So, like, so right now, be, between the two guys, you can see um, the building uh, is still this there one. with the kind of the, the awnings and stuff like that. So that's all that's left on that side of this. Was street. this house moved or demolished? I think that was demolished, and then that's not Vera's house, but the house next to it was Vera's, and that house actually it was moved. So it wasn't demolished, but you can see there's nothing left on that side of the street. Wow. Where is this? Um, up at Santa Clarita. That's amazing. You got that. That's a, that's a great job to find that. I had been looking for years and years and years. And then I had one Saturday morning, I said, I'm just going to, I'm going to fi- wake up and I'm going to find this house. That's and that amazing. Was, and uh, somehow I found it. So this is what Vera's house. That's what, and then wow, that's building there. Yeah. <laughs> that's where this is. Yeah, so that's where Vera's house is supposed to be. And this looks like a, you know, just like an apartment building. Yeah, I think they it's really a doctor's just leveled office. that those homes and made this. 
yeah, doctor's office or something. So, so Vera's house yeah. does exist. It's been moved over about a quarter of a mile uh, to the Saugus uh, train station kind of museum. So I haven't visited that house yet, but um, it's on my she, list. She's one of the better final, final girls, too, in the franchise, I think. Yes, yes. This is the shot we were talking about. You, yep. So the first shot that we looked at, um, Google Maps obviously takes you when you're on from this perspective. So you drove down here because mm -hmm. it, it obviously looks the same. Trees are the same. The yep. Shrubbery, the trees are the same. The Light See, this is where the same. Friday the 13th franchise did it right with the police. They have proper uniforms and police cars. <laughs> they're not wearing blue jeans. Now, look, those are sheriff deputies. That's They still look that way today. Good job. <laughs> That's what they do. Maybe you know it's the I'm next county that. over or something like that. That <laughs> <laughs> I'm only saying that because of uh, the cop and yeah, from yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know, I know you can't stand blue jeans, cop, but I just it's not professional. Yeah, the cavalry's here, so it's <laughs> so yeah. This is the shot they drive by and they see. And this was always an eerie shot to me in the franchise. <laughs> they see the bodies and it's like, well, I guess we're going to this farm up the road. I always think it's funny because she is she's literally half out the window so she can be seen. <laughs> and I'm like, you better watch. The, yeah. Well, yeah, I never put that row. together. I put it because otherwise, what, what's the point if you can't see the actress uh, driving? And so in order to actually see her, she has to like literally be hanging out the window. <laughs> oh, That's a great shot, though. You did yeah. a great job with these. Thanks. This is the store. Yep. This was Harold Ender stores, but not... Uh, I guess it was the same place. No, this is supposed to be a different different store. So I thought so. It's it, completely different. It's supposed to be in Green Valley, New Jersey. Oh, not too far from ours. Right. Yeah, yeah right. Oh, that's a cool shot. Look at that place. They haven't really changed it. It's mostly liquor, yeah. That's a great shot. Shelly. <laughs> Please, guys, be cool. Be cool. I just love the motorcycle gang. <laughs> Like the 80s, the black guy and the white guy with chains. It's perfect. The bad Crystal Lake gang. Yeah, watch out. They're going to get you. Um, still a phone booth. Friday the 13th like, part yeah. 5, too. In the beginning, you got a shot of the diner. And it, it looks relatively the same, too, which is cool. They don't yeah. change it as much. There's still a phone booth. It is. <laughs> still a phone booth. It's amazing. I can't tell if there, the that, There's actually a phone in there. I think so, yeah. I didn't go take a look at it, but yeah, it's still there. This is cool. These are great shots. Um, I'm going to jump down to the, the barn. This was on a movie ranch? Yeah, so these are not my shots. Um, and actually, I was supposed to go out to this uh, last year, but of course that trip got canceled. So um, the barn is probably the only surviving piece uh, left because the house was... I think was, I don't know if it was a fan down, for sure. Right? Yeah, a fan got in there and tried to light that fireplace, um, and it's not a really working fireplace. Ended up burning the place down. Wait, a fan tried to light? Well, the fireplace? I don't know if it's really a fan, but somebody got in there and tried to use the fireplace. And but still, somebody. Wow. Yeah. This I always liked. Um, I know these aren't your shots, but I just think it's cool that first of all, it's cool that you guys are all friends in that community. But it's interesting to see this was a to show you the droughts of California. It's just. <laughs> It's just a piece of wood now, but before it was like a proper lake. Yeah, well, a, a man-made lake that they tried to... Obviously, there's no, there was no lake there at all, and so that's... Right. It, yeah, it just kind of dried up. It barely looks like a lake uh, in the movie. No, it, yeah, it does. It looks like a big puddle after a rain. Yeah. Like when the, when the grass gets flooded, yeah. there's worms. Um, 
Tootsie is next on the list. Tootsie, uh, Dustin Hoffman playing the pinnacle role. Yes. Um, I saw this when I was, I think, a teenager. I always enjoyed it, Robert. I'm probably due for a rewatch, but based on my viewing, uh, Tootsie is a movie that still holds up and it's still a comedic gem in the 80s crown. I 100% agree. We got Dabney Coleman again uh, in there. Dabney? Terry Garr. I mean, she's comedic genius. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jessica Lange. And, of course, Dustin Hoffman. Sidney Pollack um, as director and also as an actor. so yeah, so Tootsie still holds up. Uh, I'm not sure how it would play. I think I was supposed to go see Tootsie the Musical, and I didn't go to could go see it um, when it was in oh. New York. And I doubt it will ever come back. But oh. or how I don't know if Tootsie the Musical would hold up to what I have in my mind. But it'd be interesting to hear what you think about it, though. Yeah, but I'd it's a too. great flick. Yeah, still holds up. I've never seen this one. Young Doctors in Love. <laughs> what is this? Ooh, it's 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 an '80s comedy. Um, and it's not quite airplane, that type of farce, but it is a comedy of some sorts. And uh, yeah, Sean Young, Michael McKean. Um, actually, did I locations- like Michael McKean a lot. I did locations for this one as well. Um, did but you? I did. So Pull it up. What was this about? Give us what? It, People it's have never com- seen this It's gem. the first it? year of uh, residence in a hospital. And it's, it's kind of a, not a crazy hospital, but crazy stuff happens. Um, and so... There's, a, I think, yeah, Demi Moore's first ro- walk-on role. Um, she's just in, like, one shot at the end. Well, that's cool. Uh, um, but uh, I think this is the one where I was watching, I'm like, oh, some parts are really not funny, and there's some parts I would still giggle over probably inappropriately. So so Union Plaza there and MacArthur Park. Oh, I remember when you posted this, this guy. Yep. And this Sean. is Union Plaza? Yep. In downtown L.A.? Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. Which has been home to many, many films. Oh, well, here's um, you with Sean Young. So just a couple locations for that. But Where was this at, Robert? This, this, where um, you met Sean? This, this was actually Slam Dance Film Festival. So, oh, really? Which is literally a, a t- it's the tiniest kind of like, this is like a uh, probably 15 by 15 lobby to a hotel, and everybody's crammed in there and lines to movies. And so you can't help but. They're trapped. <laughs> the stars are trapped with you, whether they like it or not. But she they're, was super they're right in there sweet, the and she was one of those like I was expecting, you know, kind of crazy. Um, yeah, I would think so. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so she and she just looked so that night. She just looked like Sean Young. I mean, this is exactly you know fur coat and bright red lipstick and and uh, actually I had talked to her about Young Doctors in Love. So oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, that's I awesome. Her, I was a fan of Young Doctors in Love, so. Does does it hold up? Um, maybe. No. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. But anyway. uh, fast time at Ridgemont High is next on the list. <laughs> this is a great flick. This holds up definitely. It has uh, so many iconic actors and scenes in it. So my opinion is it holds up, and I will always watch this movie. And it, the the amount of, you're right, the amount of actors in there, whether it's their first time or they're just really kind of early on, but but yeah, so uh, definitely holds up for me. My favorite moment though in all fast times is when the, kids now won't get when they hand out the the carbon paper or the carbon, <laughs> and, and they all kids bring them up and are inhaling it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It wouldn't hold. Yeah, it wouldn't be, be applicable today. Yeah, people are like, what are they doing? What are they doing? <laughs> what you getting high? Uh, That's funny. It is a great film, though. Yeah. Uh, Blade Runner, 
depending on which version you see, there's like seven of them. There's like the director's cut, the extended director's cut, original cut. Um, I This movie for me does hold up. I do like the director's cut that's a little longer. And I feel like it's a good dystopian technologies choking the future kind of thriller. Um, as weird as it is, uh, I do enjoy the movie Blade Runner. To me, it holds up. To me, it does not. The, the cinematography and special effects definitely do. Um, and the kind of sereneness, the soundtrack. Um, but yeah. uh, as yeah. a movie, it didn't quite do it for me. I did enjoy Blade Runner 2049, though. I haven't seen that. Is that a you recommend that one? Um, I if you're a fan of Blade Runner, I just kind of liked what they did, and usually can't go wrong with Ryan Gosling. Yeah, no, he is good. Um, last on the list is Tron. Mm-hmm. This is a great flick. I saw this in the theater too. I remember seeing that because they're like, "What's this about?" And this is so '80s. It's great. Yeah, it was kind of beginning to is before war games and stuff. Like, you know, computers were just we're getting them in schools and. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of spark the imagination. This was, I know, Disney's kind of attempt to uh, grow up uh, with their films, and uh, now I kind of revisit. I, I see the the special effects are kind of iffy, but if you think about yeah. what they were doing at the time, they're really great. I agreed. Yeah, special effects definitely don't hold up, but if you're looking at the story and kind of like the imagineering they were doing at the time, uh, it's to me, it's still an enjoyable film. Yeah, it's no flight of the navigator. <laughs> <laughs> what is? I guess uh, I haven't done those locations, but I want to. It was down in Fort Lauderdale. Flight of the Navigator? Yeah. So uh, those, I, those would be cool. Um, was it a year and a half ago? Or it was November 2019? Uh, yeah, so I went to a special screening, though, um, with the director mm-hmm. and the and some of the cast were there. The little the little boy uh, was yeah. there. It was kind of... Uh, I had not seen it on the big screen ever, so actually that was my first time seeing it on the big screen, but... So That's kind of actually fun. a movie I think would be pretty would be better on the big screen just because of, you know, the navigator himself and like what you're yeah. doing. But but it held up and I actually have I haven't watched it yet, but uh, I can't see myself. Life after Navigator is a new oh. film. Oh, that's cool. Wait, yeah. that's a new one. Yeah. So it's a it's a documentary on uh, the 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 child actor Joey Kramer that was the kid in the movie and stuff like that. But oh, that's still, cool. still sealed. I haven't watched it yet, but I plan to. Is that a new purchase? It is a new purchase. I think it was part of a, I don't know if it was a Kickstarter project or it was pre-order or something like that. But so That's pretty cool. That's on Disney Plus now. I don't know if you have Disney Plus. Oh, you do, I guess. I you do. watch Darby. I do. So, um, But yeah, so I mean, the director, Randall Kleiser directed, he directed Grease. So I was excited to meet him. Um, and the casting director oh. was there, and she's talking about she, she did the cast director for uh, Gods and Monsters, and so it, it, it was a lot of fun oh, to just cool. have all those people, uh, those people there. I think so, especially if you're you grew up with that movie like I did. You know, I watched it a bunch of times. It's always a fun ride. Literally, it's a fun ride. And that should have been a Disney ride. Uh, yeah, and I remember well, like t- two things. Like one, I remember they were playing um, when they're driving. It starts in 1978. So the year of Greece, and they were playing "You're the One That I Want" or whatever. And it wasn't until years later I realized it's the same director because I'm like, "Why are they playing Greece?" I'm like, "Well, that makes sense. That's it's his film." Yeah, he's plugging his own movie. Um, but one of the the out the the navigator or not the navigator the, the spaceships and stuff like that was sitting outside at Walt Disney Orlando, and just eventually got weathered away 
and they didn't really kind of take care of it. And I think they morphed it into some type of food stand or something down there. But um, oh no way! Yeah, <laughs> so it's kind of I sad that, that that these uh uh this could be a major prop, you know. And granted, it's not a not too many people remember this film, but you got to take care of your props, you know. You always... Yeah, and I feel like the nostalgia for a lot of people is um is there that you would want to you know want to take care of that. Yeah. Flight it's of the a, Navigator, I felt like it was a little ahead of its time too. It was cool. It embraced like it was like a child um, hero in there, uh, protagonist that kind of, you know, like it played on all the cues that like ET would for you, with you know the child and coming of age and innocence and all that. But it it got dark with like the government and not you know like it was it was fun. It was a fun it was, ride. It was always the mean government, and it was all these these kids like taking off. And maybe they stopped doing those films because they're like, what are we doing? Telling kids to do, um, you know, like explorers and Goonies or whatever, and like just forget about your parents. Just go take <laughs> off on your own journey. Um, don't forget worry the, about adults. If you see adults or you see you know officials, hide. Uh, <laughs> forget the rules. Just go out there in the yeah. woods. Don't tell anyone what you're going doing, and just explore. Just go have at it, and you'll have a magical adventure. Where I got to find the spaceship now, Robert. What, what happened to it? We got to find this thing. Yeah. We, on the set jetter, do you ever get requests from people to tell you that recommend places to check out? Absolutely. So, and usually I, I go down that rabbit hole of like, uh, like, yeah, I'll look into it and to see what, uh, what we can find. What do you think? Uh, what are some of the more not bizarre ones, but? challenging requests that you have um I can't some i just i've never i just i think my girlfriend's a killer or something i can't remember the name of it, it was like kind of strange but and, and they literally had a horrible <laughs> vhs screenshot and i'm like huh i'll try and i did i did find it <laughs> so, but did you find it see you're, yeah. you're a professional um but uh but yeah so yeah so you're, you're looking at some pictures now of the uh the navigator. So I think that's what it looked like as you walk, drove by it, and eventually, uh, I've seen a video where they said it keep, is getting getting worse and worse, and then they turned it. So it's somewhere down at, at Disney World now, as a, a top of a food stand. There it is. Yep, you barely recognizable. That's it. It's sad. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like why? why I've been to Tomorrowland many times, and in in Disney World, and I I don't even remember this. Yeah. So. That's pathetic. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> I guess it would have been Michael Eisner at the time. Thanks, Michael Eisner. Yeah, just leave that out. I do remember <laughs> going through Disney, and I remember seeing the prop. And there's other stuff like a snow speeder is out there, and just kind of random stuff. Oh. Um, and I know Florida is different than California because they have a lot of humidity, you know, and these things yeah. just did not weather well. No, that's the one thing I remember about Florida. Uh, my, my dad used to live in uh, Clearwater, so we I go down there a lot, and the humidity was no joke. Yeah, it's like wearing a thirty-pound shirt in <laughs> August. Yes, I, I one of the future episodes we do, we should do a prop show because I know you got a lot of props. We should we should go through the uh, the archive. We should yeah. go through the vault. Once my basement is done, then I should have some on display, and we can, uh, can we can do that for sure. Yeah, because that would be good. Because I know you have quite a few props, authentic ones that are pretty cool. I do, and somebody uh, we just—I just had the anniversary for Final Destination two, and uh, I had a picture of a shirt and whatever. Oh yeah, I saw that. And people were commenting like, "What's the deal with the shirt?" I'm like, "Well, it's a part of the wardrobe." 
from that scene. I saw that thread. Some woman or girl or somebody was like, wait, that's they wore that? You're like, yeah, yeah, it's real. And you showed like the the seal of authenticity. And I was yeah. like, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, what New Line used to be great about as when the film would come out um, or right before the week before or after, um, they would have this auction and so you they would auction off wardrobe and props and stuff like that so that's how i got stuff from final destination 2 and oh. freaky friday and quite a number of films that just that used to be kind of what new line did before they got bought out by warners where do you keep those guys do you, do you have them like in your closet with other clothes or are they in like a box they are i did i did take a little bit of care that everything is each each piece of wardrobe sealed up in a kind of ziploc bag um and oh, in a yeah and a big kind of plastic thing. But um, but yes, yeah, so I've been taking a little bit uh, better care of it. But then I'm also getting to the point, I'm like, why do I, what am I going to do with all these? I used to wear movie wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Uh, just because. Um, yeah. And, and every once in a while it works out where I can wear. Uh, I went, I, uh, this would be a couple years ago, but I brought my mentee. They were, Alamo was showing a, a screening of 8 Mile. And so um, I, have a, I have a couple of Mackay Pfeiffer's outfits from... <laughs> the movie oh no way that's so, so cool. i wore movie wardrobe to the actual movie uh which future that's okay. awesome yeah that's so cool i think i did that with one other movie too and then i think i told somebody i was like i'm wearing it and people are like all right they they couldn't care less <laughs> we i would i people i would think most people would care though that's because yeah. that's pretty cool yeah if anything it's a good conversation starter you know yeah like the shirt i mean how do you not think that's cool like why are you wearing i'm like it's a prop but um it's amazing yeah i'm trying to think what other a lot of cut a couple different wardrobes some of i've like one of jamie lee curtis's outfits from freaky friday and her sunglasses and from um, freaky friday yeah oh that's cool and that's exciting that's something like that's something good to have yeah her glasses glasses so i i know i know how blind she is (laughs) right Oh, they're actually the prescription? They're actually her prescription glasses, yeah. So Is she nearsighted or farsighted? Uh, I don't know. I just remember, and this is before I wore glasses anyway, and I'm like, oh, she can't see anything. They, I, I probably match her prescription now. I don't know. <laughs> oh, they were they were pretty high grade? Yeah, I think, from, from what I remember. So uh, I'll Wind is a bad. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so I have a lot of word, and I, I forget about it and, until I actually dig it out, how much uh, things I have. So part of me thinks I should be doing some purging and and getting rid of some of this too. Yeah, well, let's do a proper show when it's yeah. time. Um, I think that's going to be our time for today, unless you have anything else you want to uh, dive into. No, it's been good. It's going to be our show. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to Set Jetter Saturdays. Mr. Robert Patterson, the Set Jetter, go to set-jetter.com and check out all the shows for free on iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening, and good night, everybody. Good night. Like